School of Movies, number 137, recorded Friday the 18th of September 2015, A Nightmare on Elm Street, part one. Welcome to the School of Movies Halloween Spooktacular Week 1. For this episode and the next, we will be covering every single Nightmare on Elm Street movie. And some that might not be. <laughs> this is in large part due to the sad passing of Mr. Wes Craven, the creator of Freddy Krueger. And continuing the theme, we'll be looking at all four Scream movies after these. Neil Taylor of Game Burst joins us to talk about a series he has most definitely had a soft spot for for many years. One, two, three, Freddy's coming for you. Did you get the Blu-ray last year for your birthday? I did. It's I got that keeps on giving. <laughs> I got that gift from my lovely partner Shona, basically because at the time, and I think it's still true at the minute, no Friday the Thirteenth box set. That's a cry and shame. I had personally only seen three of these before we started this endeavour, and Sharon had seen none of them. So you're getting all of her thoughts on these fresh as a daisy. I shall uh, seek cover now. Yeah. Tonight we're, going, <laughs> tonight we're going to cover one through five. That's the original A Nightmare on Elm Street, then number two, Freddy's Revenge, number three, Dream Warriors, number four, The Dream Master, and number five, The Dream Child. We've all got favourites and least favourites, and this series is seriously up and down. But relative to a lot of other horror franchises, there's plenty to talk about, even if it's only potential and missed opportunities. So we'll start with the original A Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, 94% freshness in terms of... I mean, I, I, again, it, it's, it's only a, a guideline rather than a statement of, of quality. But in this case, considering that a lot... Knowing that, that's as good as it gets by some margin uh, for this series. Um, yeah, criti critics seem to like this one. It's a good story. This... This, this is... And maintains to this day the only horror film that has scared the living hell out of me. When did you see it first? When I was eight years old. I knew that. That's why I asked you. <laughs> well, that'll be why it scared the life out of you. The best bit is, it wasn't the film that scared the life out of me. What was it? It was a trailer for the film on Sky Movies. And it was the scene in the bath. Oh, yeah. It scared me so much. I spent about six months not wanting to take a bubble bath to the point where my brother got so annoyed with me being scared of this film, he sat and made me watch it. I which see. Which terrified me. He's like, there I, you go, it's not that scary. Then it I is, though! <laughs> then I watched it again. And then I watched this other film that's not connected to this franchise. It's connected to one we've talked about before called Aliens. Ah... And then I started falling in love with the idea of how do they make the monsters scary? And since then, horror films don't scare me because I got, I fell in love with the idea of effects. Of course. So, so that's this was one of your, uh, the, this popped your cherry. <laughs> this is this, this and it, like I said, it's not even the film. It was a trailer for the film that scared me. The idea of yeah. the film. And that is the one thing I will say uh, for Nightmare above all of the other 80s iconic horror movies mm is that the idea for Freddy is still a very... It's a very frightening idea, even if the execution of the films gradually degrades, but that initial concept of 
being something stalking you in your dreams. Yeah. They're very frightening. Because we've all had those dreams. You know, it doesn't matter how old you are. We've all had that dream, that that nightmare that just... I mean, it can be normal as all hell. One of my most common recurring nightmares is being stuck in darkness and not being able to find a light. I wake up absolutely terrified from that. We all have that dream that just wakes us up and terrifies us. Mm. And this was made in 1984, so I would have been four. You'd have been how old? Two. Two. <laughs> um, anyone? No, you must know how, all know how much this cost. Not a lot. Not much. <laughs> $1.5 million. Whoa! And they could afford Johnny Depp on that budget somehow. Mm. Johnny Depp's first film. Of course. Yeah, that's why. He was yeah. just about to go on to Jump Street. But, uh, yeah, the, uh, the, the, the first appearance of uh, jo- a young Johnny Depp and um, Heather Langenkamp uh, as uh, Nancy and Glenn. Now, I noticed, actually, throughout this series, I was, like, totting up above, below the, um, uh, the year and the uh, freshness for each of them and the cost and how much it made. Uh, I put... Um, the director and who the central protagonists are, because if you can you can boil it down, some of them it's a bit more kind of well, who's this really about? But um, most of the time you can boil it down to okay, there is the central hero character, and it's frequently female, uh, as is often the case in uh, um, in horror movies. But the fact that she's a virgin is kind of neither here nor there. For all of those scream rules. Mm. This is less about you can never drink and do drugs. You can never have sex. You can never say, I'll be right back. It's it's a lot less uh, slasher and a lot more. I mean, the best side of this is that it's very psychological. It lives in your fears. Mm. It's In fact, it's actually implied at the beginning of the film that she's not a virgin because, um, yes, all right, she behaves more... Um, uh, morally, I suppose, mm. if you want to use that term, than... Um, her friend Tina. Tina. Um, but that it's really only a comparison. Um, when they are staying over at Tina's house, Glenn seems to have the assumption that the two of them are going to be sleeping in the same bed, which would suggest to me that they do have a sexual relationship. Mm. Uh, Nancy declines because she's too worried about Tina. She wants to be able to concentrate on on keeping her safe or making her feel safe. But sex is kind of a casual thing for teenagers. It's not like this big taboo, you know, like everything revolves around it. Like it, I mean, often in uh, horror movies, it's all about let's go and have sex. Ah, no, I don't want to. Did you hear that? It was, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, obviously that's one of the main themes of the, the Friday the 13th. But, um, but yeah, this is actually, the, the, it's almost, it's almost grown up about mm. sex in that regard. Yeah. As you say, it's, it's a very sort of, um, almost like a nonchalant, just a part of of what's going on in their lives. Um, And one thing I was going to say, actually, with regards to uh, Neil's remarks about not being scared of it because you worked out how the effects worked and, and, you know, what made the monster scary. Mm. For me, the root of a horror movie and how I will engage with it is not necessarily whether or not it frightens me, but why is it scary? Um, You know, what are the the psychological reasons why that particular embodiment of fear is scary? Now, when you get on to the monsters which are essentially um, punishment sticks for teenagers who do bad things the reason they fall so flat for me is because you know why is that scary if you do these things that some other person judges to be 
um, bad or immoral or whatever than this guy with knife stroke baseball bat stroke whatever is going to come and get you well indeed Um, but that's you know that ultimately if you are behaving in a way that your society considers to be immoral you're going to get punished by the society and it will be a hell of a lot scarier than the guy coming down the path with a machete in his hand I also think some of this plays into sort of the American psyche as you were saying the walking punishment stick Jason mm. I'm going to say Jason because Jason is the clearest Let, yeah, example let's face of that it, that's what we're talking about yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's also reasons for this but Jason is that sort of character we talk about and um, it's because of a lot of American attitudes and morals towards sex so when you apply that to another country like ours mm. where it's not such a it, well, I, I run the risk of saying it doesn't feel like such a thing the, that loses the interest there there's not that sort of fear yeah. and another principle of this film of the first nightmare on elm street and it's quite a core one but it's 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 not played up as much perhaps as sort of the dream stuff which is the lies that our parents tell us absolutely yeah. that was one of the things i that really really got me as in you know drew me in about this that it's it's about this the sins of the parents of being revisited on the children that, that that's a common recurring theme throughout these series and that I'm, I'm glad they stuck with that because it's it it leads to a, a re- another recurring theme which is teen isolation if you can't rely on your parents at that stage then it, it really life becomes a scary dark place yeah mm. and it's worth noting as well that when i say sins of the parents i don't necessarily mean what the parents did because given the circumstances who freddie was and what he'd been up to and and what you know mm. and initially the it's fact all that very they understandable were, yeah you know, he he went through a trial and everything was, you know, if he'd gone to jail, maybe that would have been the end of it. But it all fell apart. And so they felt they had to take matters into their hands. It's not that that I think is what the, their children are being um, punished for. Although ostensibly, that's obviously why Freddie's going after them. As you say, Neil, it's the lies. It's the fact that they try to cover it up. It's the fact that, more specifically, they won't tell their children about it. They don't tell them this person was around this area and he did terrible things and, you know, you should probably be aware that there are people like that out there so that you can protect yourself. The parents are depriving the children of the opportunity to protect themselves and the parents either can't or won't protect them enough. Every parent, every time, and it gets increasingly more ridiculous, says there's no such thing as Freddy Krueger, the ghost who kills you in your dreams. Stop talking about it. Mm. Mum, dad, 17 cases of children being butchered in their sleep um, in, under circumstances where there could not have been an intruder. There's no such thing. And yeah, it, that, it's, that's taken it's ridiculous. To, it's taken to, uh, I think that's really acknowledged in six where they take it mm. to just, they, they take that ball and run with it. They, do uh, more on that next episode, but yeah, the uh, but yeah, it, it, you can just about sustain it for this first movie because it's basically his new supernatural killing spree is only just starting, and uh, it's um, it, you could just about believe that parents would turn a blind eye to it because ultimately, if they accept that it's a ghost, what can they do about it? Mm-hmm. And yeah. the, the nightmare film that no one's yet made is all the parents who have who have survived getting together and going, what are we going to do? And, you know, like, you know, one of them super drunk, one of them super scared, one of them super angry. You know, you, that, that would be a great film. Mm, it would be interesting. What do you think the chances of that happening are? 
pretty low. Mm. They always focus on the teens. And I, I get that. It's because it's recurring things. But like, like by the time you get to five, maybe make that one of the premises. Well, also, and- the longer the story goes on for, the more that core element of denial becomes weaker and weaker because part of the whole, I mean, right, Freddy is a great horror embodiment of the shadow. He's um, the bogeyman. The, exactly. The, the shadow figure that is there because the people deny him, because people say to their kids, don't be silly, there's no monster in your closet, because people say, um, you know, this bad thing could never happen. And in fact, it so could never happen. And what they mean by could never happen is we'd be so terrified and horrified if it did that we're going to pretend it just doesn't exist. The more you do that, the more uh, the stronger that creature gets. But as the series progresses, first of all the parents continuing to be in a state of denial the more and more evidence they have it just makes them look stupid um and secondly they end up on this hinge of um freddie gets his power from people acknowledging him and being scared of him well no because if you're scared of him and you know about him in advance you can protect yourself you can work out ways um to put a defense up it's the it's the ignorance that is the thing that keeps him strong in in the early films, and I think they lose that a lot towards the end of the franchise. Yeah, it, it is all played out throughout the franchise that it's the fear that gives him the power. Mm. Jumping ahead to two thousand three, Freddy Jason, the opening monologue from Freddy is the the thing that pisses him off is they forgot about him. Mm. And again, what I, I try I'm trying not to jump too far ahead, but again, a concept from. For Jason, we'll talk about mainly when we get there, but the concept there was a very good concept of the whole idea of that they treat Freddy as a disease in that, where anybody that dreams of him whipped away to the asylum. Yeah, thus inoculating the rest of the population mm. or uh, uh, isolating the uh, dis- disturbances. Yeah. yeah, But it also compounds the denial factor and it makes it a lot more difficult to feel sorry for those or to, to feel that the behaviour of those parents is understandable. It's one thing going after a child murderer that you know is a threat to your children. It's another thing throwing your children in asylums so that they won't talk to anybody about what's happened to them. Yeah. And one, uh, the way Freddy's portrayed in this film, he's always in shadow. They never show you Robert Englund's face. They, they barely, sh- I don't think you ever see his eyes. They're always shadowed under the hat. Mm. Uh, it's, uh, uh, he goes cartoonish at times with those great big, like, long arms, but it's always it, so it dark. In, it, it, but that sort of plays into the, the, the surrealism that you tend to have in dreams as well. Mm. It also emphasises the idea that he makes them feel younger than they actually are. He makes them feel weaker and more vulnerable because that whole long arm thing, that's an adult reaching down to a very small child. Yeah. Uh, and also it never really gets to Freddy's point of view. It's it's always a case of he's external, he's the threat, he's uh, elemental, not a, a person. He, he's just uh, mal- malignant embodiment. Mm. And... That's extremely effective. That's one of the, the reasons why this still really works. And while we were watching it, you said, this could really stand to use a remake. Not because you, me- you meant, oh, this is looking all shonky, but just because it's, it's a great enough premise that, um, and it's a great enough, uh, what be the word? It's, it's beyond premise, as in it's, the it concept. works fundamentally as a concept and to be, uh, 
to be able to replicate that with modern day sensibilities, you could mm. really go even deeper on it. And I Absolutely. Said, well, there we- has been a remake. It happened five years ago. <laughs> yeah. People and didn't it was like bad. it. Um, but the the um, the script, even, I found myself thinking, you know, this is actually it carries a lot of the weight, even though things look a bit off and everything looks cheap. Mm. Um, but it's actually it's it's reasonably well directed um and it's reasonably well acted there's a couple of of standout um scenes if not entire performances um but yeah overall the premise the story and the script really do hold up and the effects are very 80s but we've said this about horrors before the more money you spend on them the less effective they are yeah which is not to say, by the way, that all cheap horror is automatically brilliant. You still have to have talent in there. The, the, the good example of that is Tina's death. That is... <laughs> yeah, that's one of the uh, the main points I've highlighted as well. It's Go for it. That whole... There's so much going on in that scene and so much to watch. Like you have like uh, the boyfriend's fear of what's going on. Mm. And then you have this... I, and how they made that scene work, it, the room on the gimbal that actually rotates. Mm. It's, it's been used before, mainly, I think, in, I think it's a musical that did it. I can't remember which one, but I think it's something with Fred Astaire where he literally dances on the ceiling. On the ceiling, of course, yeah. But to use that in a horror context and just, it throws you, and because you're seeing it from, and this is the clever bit, because you're seeing it from the real world point of view, it's freaking terrifying yeah. to watch this girl writhe and scream in pain as as she's slowly bleeding out and literally thrashing around and up and onto the ceiling of the room. It's terrifying. Yeah. And she's not been portrayed as a whore. You're not just like, ah, oh, I can't wait for this girl to die. In fact, you kind of, I mean, the, the boyfriend's a bit of a dick, but you, uh, you are concerned for them. And... Uh, as she dies, there's a, there's a, it's, it lingers, but not in a sadistic way, in in a horrific way. Mm. It's it's a very fine line to walk, a razor line, if you will. <laughs> also, the way they um, kind of sell why Tina is the first victim, mm-hmm. um, as you say, although she is, yes, she's sexually active, she's um, a little bit. Um, I think she she swears and she's not you know school is not something that she particularly focuses on or anything like that she's obviously a a a fundamentally good enough person for nancy who we can see is kind and compassionate and and very intelligent to be friends with so that speaks uh highly of her to start with Mm. but also when i say she's not a whore i mean that the uh the archetype that is so constantly thrown up in horror movies yeah of course uh, not that if she were actually a sex worker that would make it okay no of course of course but yes you're right some of those films it's like you know the first girl seen nobbing oh that's it she's dead in probably a horrible way Mm. um but the the essence of why tina is the first victim is actually to do with the way her mother treats her her mother is Mm. really quite neglectful of her she doesn't listen to her when she tries to talk about things she's scared of um she's distracted by um i think she have a boyfriend downstairs that keeps shouting to her when she's trying to say goodnight. yeah um so there's just this again she kind of her mother kind of embodies this idea of the parents not doing their job and that's why all this stuff ends up happening 
They also get got a huge amount of uh, um, value for money out of that gimbal with uh, Johnny Depp's death, uh, Glenn. Uh, when he's pulled into the bed, the room actually is upside down when that blood starts pouring out of it. So that when it flows upwards to the to the ceiling, there's it, it's. It's a ridiculous, cartoonish, hellish amount of blood. And you go through that sort of like, well, that's too much blood. That's a ridiculous amount of blood. That's funny. And then you go for, that's not funny, actually. That's just horrible. I think it's, it's, it's neat the way that they sustain that. I think also, I think the funny thing to me is later on when the cops are there, I think one of them says, oh, yeah, he killed himself. <laughs> what? <laughs> with, a, with what? A grenade? A liquidizer? He just fed himself slowly into the world's biggest blender. Um, the uh, the other boyfriend, by the way, um, uh, what's his name? The, the, one, the one who gets hanged in his cell. Rod. Rod. Um, the actual actor was out of his mind on drugs when they were doing the filming, specifically during the scene in the cell where he's like really distracted and his, his eyes are staring. Langenkamp mentioned that she thought he was doing the, you know, the performance of his life at that point, but it was basically just because he was off his tits. Uh, but that all adds to the actual qu- uh, quality of the film because he really does seem shell-shocked. And it's a pretty... I know we've just talked about Tina and we talked about Johnny Depp being mm. killed, but that's actually quite brutal as well because it, it's played up like a hanging. It is not pleasant. Yeah, it's super traumatic. Mm, it's not. Yeah. I loved the way, though, speaking of effects, I loved the way they um, they set that up because the the bit where you see the blanket snaking around his neck, mm-hmm. um, I, I looked to basically what they'd done was they'd tied um, a, a piece of invisible thread to one corner of the blanket mm-hmm. and and what they seemed to have done was then wrap that thread around his neck and then somebody off camera looked to be pulling it so the blanket was following the path that the thread had taken but you yeah. couldn't see the thread just the blanket that's pretty freaking creepy as well it <laughs> is. Yeah. to me that even to this day and i know how these effects are done and it doesn't scare me still creeps me out it's, and again, we mentioned that he was um, freaked out during the, the death scene for Tina. That doesn't happen much in films. Men getting terrified of death and then later becoming victims themselves. That, that Basically, the boyfriend gets killed quickly so that there's more time for salacious murder of the girlfriend, usually. Unfortunately, it's the case of usually first film innovates and afterwards stagnate. Yeah. Uh, the bathtub scene as well. Just the hand coming up would have been terrifying enough. Like if she had just opened her eyes and the hand had gone afterwards, as a, that would have been a great follow-up, and she'd have escaped from the bath. But then it turns into the bottomless bath, and it just goes further and deeper, literally. And it's again that's a exceptionally well compounded scare, and and it's the, these are the kind of scares that stick with you. That you like, especially when you're a teenager, you mull over them and you think that's that's horrible. And that actually is kind of the, the sort of um, thing that might happen in a nightmare. It's actually, it follows the same kind of logic or illogic or he- the, the hellish sense of, um, uh, I suppose, what would be the term? Gru- gruesome fascination that some nightmares tend to sort of present you with. Hmm. Like they're like, well, well, what about this? And and you're terrified out of your mind occasionally. And it's usually nightmares are there because there's something that genuinely perturbs you in 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 real life that you are not confronting. Mm. 
Mm. Nightmares normally um, will result from things that you are either deliberately suppressing or can't recognise because basically if you if you think of your your brain as being a conscious entity that's trying to communicate with you it needs to do something really urgent and really attention grabbing mm. to shake you out of whatever it is that's making you cover all this stuff up so if you're having a nightmare about something it's something really important that you ought to pay attention to and the same thing can be applied to um uh, I mean, we we talked about this a lot as we've been watching these films. That the the horror film is a continuation of the old um, cautionary fairy tales. Mm. Not the you know, not the she turned up at the ball and her dress was amazing and everybody thought she was wonderful. But the one that says, "Don't go in the woods because a wolf will eat you," um, and that's what horror movies are are kind of carrying on the tradition of. Um, and those stories were pretty damn brutal if you look at the way they were presented to to small children. It's actually a new nightmare where they bring Hansel and Gretel, Gretel in there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Basically, the, the, the positive aspects of the characters in this movie are uh, Nancy being a, uh, assertive and being able to sort of um, attempt, at least, to t- take hold of the situation. And the enemy, uh, while Freddy is a, uh, a great elemental uh, foe for her to be up against, the, he's the Voldemort, the umbrage, if you will, are, again, the parents. They're these powerless villains, the ministry saying, he's not back, and they're enablers. And we felt the Voldemort parallel over and over again while watching this. It really does feel like Joe Rowling um, took the best, most interesting elements of Freddy, and that is the modern-day version of him. Hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> she certainly did it better than the... I'm, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say... She did Freddy better than the remake did, having not yet seen it. (laughs) It's not perfect. There are, uh, obviously, as you said, it's shonky. Although, really great use of a sheep. That one bit at the beginning, like, what is that sheep doing there? That's just creepy. That's a really great way to just unnerve you straight away. Who would have thought sheep can be creepy? Yeah. Especially, like, uh, in other horror movies, they'd kill the sheep. No, 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 you you missed the point. It's the fact that the sheep's there at all that's creepy. (laughs) Um, and Especially with its connotation to sleep as well. Of course. Oh, I never uh, thought about that. See, I was thinking lamb, innocence. Yeah, no, sacrificial yeah. lamb, I thought. Got that, that as well. But also, what, how do we often talk about trying to get to sleep? What do we count? Sheep, of course. Um, at, speaking of which, this, the one bit that made me go, wait, no, was um, when she goes to the sleep clinic. And uh, they, like, they put her, uh, I think, do they put her under? She certainly goes to sleep. And uh, the uh, the technician says, "Ah, oh, she's uh, she's nearing deep sleep now. That's the best time for dreaming." No, that's the exact opposite. That's the time you don't dream at all. You dream the most basically when you're like in, on the way back up again. When you're waking yeah. up uh, early in the uh, early in the morning before your alarm clock goes off, that's when you have your most vivid dreams. Mm-hmm. Sometimes late at night, but not too late. If you aren't sleeping deeply, you'll have a serious nightmare, especially if you're uh, or, or basically not really restful. Um, but uh, usually the, the sort of the ones where you really don't know quite what's going on uh, are REM sleep. And that's uh, when you're um, on the way back up again. Once you get to lucid dreaming, that's when you start to realize I'm dreaming. And occasionally you can actually sort of take control. And that's kind of what the end 
is about with um, Nancy uh, deciding she's going to take Freddie on. Um, her parents have failed her. The laws failed her. Her schools failed her. Her friend Glenn's failed her. And she, basically all aspects of civilization have been stripped away. She's just down to her resourcefulness and her resolve. I really, I love this dynamic. Mm. Which in a dream, you are. Nobody else can help you, yeah. ultimately, when you're dreaming, because it's just you. All that's in there is you and your psyche. Yeah. Um, and one thing that really appealed to me about um, Nancy's solution in this first one is that she comes to that conclusion more or less on her own. Mm. Um, she doesn't have There's to no go... Mentor. Yeah, she doesn't have to seek out a wise one who tells her the way forward. She doesn't... Oh, child, you got to go in the fan of Dream Master. <laughs> I've had all sorts of nightmares, child. Spoiler for later, you don't have to find the ghost of a nun. Man, it yes. would have been so cool if uh, Zelda Rubenstein had been in these films at some point. Possibly as the nun. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, she she sets Glenn the A task of... warriors, child. Um, she sets Glenn the task of, of keeping watch over her, um, which is something that, uh, you know, when, when people in the past um, have had like shamanic journeys and, and um, spiritual experiences where they, they go internal. Mm. Usually there are cautions abound around this kind of activity saying you make sure you have somebody on the outside who can bring yeah. you back if anything goes wrong. Safety. Exactly. Uh, safety, uh, safety wire. Technically mm. it's, it's something that holds you back. Yeah. The edge. Um, and, um, and he fails, he falls asleep as well. Uh, so she loses her anchor and she has to uh, she has to manage the final stage by herself. Yeah. And again, they managed to somehow do, do, do go through all of that without devaluing the fear factor of Freddy. And even though he uh, is uh, technically defeated, uh, it, it, there's an uneasiness to it. Uh, and uh, she says, I don't believe in you and turns away from him and he leaps at her and disappears. And I, I feel like <clears throat> when horror movies are at their best, they're about acceptance and growth. Now, even if that means the central protagonist dies, there are a couple of horror movies I'm thinking of, extremely good ones, that I actually won't spoil the ending of, but I'm, I'll, I'll tell Neil right now and then edit over this bit. Yes, I've that, seen it. I love it. Yeah, that it, it doesn't have to be a happy ending. It's just got to be a case of, right, I am now older and wiser. And that's when horror really works. And because it's, because living with horror is so much more fascinating than just, ah, and a thing ate her, or, and she was dragged off to hell. Um, you see, one film I'd love to make, and maybe there's one out there that I have never seen, but I'd like to see a film that takes place after the events of something like Nightmare. And how normal people deal with this fantastical supernatural element that's been in their life and mm. caused such pain. That, I would think, would be, all right, it's probably more a, a, perhaps a David Fincher area type of thing to do. But it, yeah. I think that would be a good idea. It Excuse would. Me. That would be it. Yeah. Good point, yeah. <clears throat> there was and actually a lot of Stephen Kingy feel about this one. There was, yeah, and and in this idea of the the denial, that's a really uh, strong feature in that that the parents basically know in that story what's going on <laughs> on some level. They may not always know it consciously, but the adults of the town know what's happening, and they ignore it, they cover it up, they hide it because there are 
benefits to what goes on um, mm. that they don't want to spoil. And they, they are sacrificing their own children to do so. And in a, a di- slightly different way, um, that's what the parents in um, Springwood? Yes. Uh, that's what the parents in Springwood are doing. They are basically sacrificing their children's safety for the sake of an illusion of innocence. Yeah, which is, that's very 1950s as well, mm, which obviously yeah. King was striking out against that, um, that, that, that period of time of, uh, of like glossing over the, the, the darkness of, of society and going, no, everything's great. Uh, but what about everything's great? So yeah, that's kind of why the, the, the neighborhood in the 80s has this kind of 50s suburbia feel. Uh, it, it, it was kind of, uh, Movie Bob is always very insightful. He, he did a thing on uh, uh, Really That Good on um, uh, National Lampoon's Vacation. And the, the film did not look that interesting, but the fact that it effectively 70s comedians were disassembling and challenging the, the 50s American dream, and then the fact that the 80s and the Reagan era was kind of a, yeah, but what if it had been real and kind of forcing it back into place? There was kind of that return to the let's just live in the dream, shall we? So Nightmare was actually extremely well placed. Yeah. But see, this is this is kind of in that environment where you, where you grow up in this sort of very middle class um, suburbia where ostensibly very little can really go wrong because yeah. the people who've built that society and that framework have gone out of their way to make sure that the wild animals are all kept outside the circle and um you know that the scary diseases are all kept outside the circle and anything that could possibly <laughs> not in some hurt. parts of america now well not now yeah but, thank you, know, you jenny all- mccarthy and jim carrey <laughs> All these See things the screen that, show for the, for the <laughs> yeah. coming up, folks. <laughs> All these things that that could threaten this way of life that we've set up. We keep them all outside this magic circle that is suburbia. But suburbia is a lie. It is a huge lie, especially in a, a country like America, where you don't have to go that far outside the circle to be in complete and utter wilderness. And that ultimately, there is lots of things out there that can kill you. And you know what? You don't protect yourself from them by walking around with your eyes shut and you can see that in action in a walk in the woods now in theaters see bison's uh a walk in the woods or his book notes from america mm-hmm. okay so i mean th- to that end literally after she defeats freddie and sort of like okay well that was um I've I have faced the fear now and I'm a bigger better person and then goes off there's an uneasy kind of almost a cop out ending where it's like and it was all a dream and it was a nightmare and then the mum gets sucked into the door it's actually a really great way to end a horror movie because it's like ah, what um it might, I mean had he known what was going to happen. It might just have been better for that not to happen and for it to just be like she drives away in the car and you're like is that a dream or a nightmare? And then you've got the kids going, one, two, Fred is coming for you. And then just very uneasy. And you're like, is that a dream or not? That's sort of an inception ending, if you will. Mm. Um, but uh, no, they went for the whole, ah, you can't kill the bogeyman. Mm. Which, carry on. I quite like this ending. I think I do now fits. that I know that Nancy technically lived at that yeah, stage. Indeed. But oh, I... by the way, we're going to be spoiling all of these <coughs> folks. So, I mean, but basically after the first one, you can have them spoiled. Mm. Yeah. Indeed. Um, 
I quite liked the ending in terms of how it fits with what the rest of the film is about. Yeah. Because I think the way that ending plays, the hint there is that um, you can't, when bad things happen to you, you can't just pretend they haven't happened. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you get this brief moment of, oh, everything's wonderful and she's um, she's managed to, to shun him and therefore everything goes magically back to how it was. No, mm. those things happened and she's going to have to live with them for the rest, for the rest of her yeah. life. And especially in retrospect of, of how we see her turn out in the later films, um, it, the the way that kind of settled in, in my uh, headcanon, if you like, is that, she had nightmares for a very, very long time because although Freddie could not hurt her because she now had power over him because she could say, I don't believe in you, what he could do was remind her that all these things happened and terrible things can happen to the people that you care about. Um, And you're going to have to see those every night for the rest of your life. So... uh... I think this this is way up on my list of, uh, in fact, looking at my favourites. Yep, it's my favourite of all of them so far. Mm. Um, there is another one that comes very, very close, but it's a completely different tone. We'll get to that soon. Gee, I wonder which one that could be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing, because I don't know, I'm guessing it was one I was telling you to watch. Mm, we will say nothing of the sort. <laughs> we will say nothing of the sort. Let's make it a surprise, shall we? No, nothing, no, nothing. I see nothing. Um, also, there's folks at home. Write in if you've had the subtitle quirk. Oh, oh God! It's just so weird. Every time a nightmare ended and it moved to the next scene, the last line spoken flashed up on screen for a half second in subtitle form. Not like burned-in subs, like crappy entertainment in video, we made a mistake. On every DVD. Yep. So, like... Which... I would say which box set, because there's several different box sets. It's the seven film box set, which has got um, Freddy as he was seen in New Nightmare on the front. But wasn't, didn't we have one separately? We had one separately, and it would appear to be the same disc. It's, it's basically, the box set is, is a boxed version of these, this particular release. It's, release, it's, which is it's the a cheapy with. box set. It's yeah. a box set done on the cheap. Uh, my, uh, for the record, the Blu-ray, no, didn't have that problem. It w- of course not, because they were properly produced and that they were, you know, the, uh, assuming they watched them. To be fair, the Blu-ray box set is also a box set done on the sheep where two films are put on one disc. Ah, which two? Uh, or is it across the board? Uh, except for the first film, which is chocked full of extras and commentary. Good. The Good. only trouble is it's an old commentary. It's from the Laserdisc, but it's, oh. still, it's still relevant and very interesting to hear um, that uh, you have uh, Wes Craven... You have he- uh, Heather, Heather Langenkamp, John Saxton, and someone else on there talking about it. It's, not Johnny it's, Depp. No, not Johnny Depp. They do make they do poke fun, to be fair. And let's face it, just to spoil six, he comes back for a cameo. I was going to say, you've not seen the last of Johnny Depp in The Nightmare on Elm Street soon. <laughs> and it's a funny cameo. It is. Um, so let's move on to Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Also subtitled The Homoerotic Adventure. <laughs> I noticed that too. There was a little subtext. Thank of you. I'm so glad. You, it wasn't no, just you're not. <laughs> trust me. It's a big thing about the second film. There's a quite. I don't want to say it's subtle because it isn't. No, I was being sarcastic. It's right there. It, 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 but it is a thing about that. It, it's one of the more interesting aspects of that film. Yes, it is. Um, I, uh, 42% freshness. Mm. Uh, it was made the year after, so 1985. Cost three million, so twice as much. The first one made. 
25 million. The second one made 29. So that means people, everyone who saw the first one came to see it and then saw a bit more, which is interesting. I would imagine that, that a lot more people saw it on DV, oh, DVD. VHS. Rental, because, of course, this was the years of VHS. And, uh, yeah, so uh, this this was maybe the peak of Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, no, actually, no. It's it went up and up and up. It did. Okay, <laughs> we'll get to that in a bit. Okay, so um, Jack Shoulder is the forgotten director, and uh, Jesse and Lisa are the main two characters. It starts off with a, uh, is this a dream? Is this not a dream? A, yeah, a school kid on a bus, and there's a gremlin on the side of the bus. I couldn't not think of that Simpsons episode. I know, it's hard not to with that. that. Which is, of course, a reference to the Twilight Zone episode where where Shatner's going crazy because there's a gremlin on the wing, which was then paid homage to in six. So, yeah, it's like, oh, my God, the bus is going to crash. And the is the bus driver Robert England? It is, yes. Cool, okay. I also want to point out that I believe at some point Wes Craven did track some Twilight Zone episodes. Oh, cool. Uh, I want to say that Robert Englund did really well in that last movie. In fact, most of what was great about Freddy was actually not Robert Englund and was actually just basically how Freddy was positioned. Although he was suitably menacing, uh, he was very well restrained at that stage. And uh, he uh, basically, the more Robert Englund mugs, the less I enjoy it. Which, Which probably becomes a part of a problem when we get past about three. Mm. Usually, that's the case anyway. Um, but this one's a super serious melodrama. Yep. The, Jesse, the guy that I just mentioned, is like, he's so sad and angry and uh, intense about everything. And he's clashing with his dad and his dad doesn't like him or trust him. And it, like, there was this bit with the budgie attack. <laughs> and this budgie attacks them and flies around in the air like an Ed Wood creation and then explodes. And he goes, the dad goes, we know you did it, son. What? So, what? What did he do? Like cram a cherry bomb down the budgie's throat? Feed it jalapenos? I, I, I don't even know how you get a budgie to fly around, attack you, and then explode. It might be good under these ludicrous circumstances to maybe give the kid the benefit of the doubt. But obviously this this is the, you know, re, going back to the whole teen isolation and, and the, the fact that his parents aren't helping him. Did you notice his bedroom, by the way? What Mess... You- it's messy as shit. I couldn't sleep in that thing at all. He has never heard of feng shui. His bed is at a weird diagonal angle away from the wall. It's crazy. But that's what we were like as kids. That's what you were like as kids. I was a fastidious conservative. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we would have been the original odd couple had we lived together. It would be great. Um, but, uh, no, I mean, seriously, I kept my room relatively tidy beyond a certain age. But this kid seems to relish, like, having a pigsty for a room. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so Lisa comes to visit him. And there's this, like, clearly he likes Lisa, but he's very intense. And he's got this kind of James Dean, I'm going to die young thing going on about him. But he also seems to, like, there's this bit when he has to do press-ups with this kid. What's the other guy's name? Oh, uh, the, 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 And the, okay, well, the other guy. We'll call him Chet. Um, like, there's this, like, there's a baseball game. And he strikes somebody out or, like, like you know, the, the guy doesn't get it. I don't know how baseball works. Either way, he wins and the person loses. And the guy immediately yanks his pants down. Just immediately, just pulls down those drawers. And then they get into a, a, a prodding session on the floor, just punching each other. And, and yeah, this is 
probably where the homoeroticism starts up in earnest and just continues. And frankly, good. More yes. horror movies need to have this kind of like weird, confused kid trope. That it's definitely different and makes it stand out in a good way. Hmm. Although what you say about um, the whole melodrama element of it, if you stripped out the horror elements of this, you would pretty much have an after-school special on yeah. what how bad things can go if you think you're gay and you try to hide it, and your parents are terrible, and you're you know actually after-school this... specials are not about that. They're like, look, parents, if your kid's gay, send them to pray the gay away camp yeah, now. Point. You've good got point. to cure them of this, or they'll go mental and kill the school. Okay, so avoid the after-school specials. Watch Nightmare on Elm Street instead. Or you um, could watch... <laughs> te- was it Teenage Seduction? His se- <laughs> cyber, cyber, cyber Seduction. seduction <laughs> his Secret Sin. Oh, oh can I just say, you were asking me which um, Friday the 13th to watch on Twitter. His Secret Life, sorry. And I recommended Seven and called it, what was it, uh, Carrie versus Jason. Yeah. I happen to know a certain uh, Mr. Stadak favorited that tweet, which nice. made my night. <laughs> <laughs> it made your night awesome. more than it made our night to watch Friday the 13th Part 5. We, 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 we thought listening to it, we hate movies, talking about it while it was you going You shouldn't on, have done great. 5, I told you. My God, 5, The Attack of Roy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, go go find the We Hate Movies on that because that that is the only way to watch that film. Is Basically, yeah, it's that I can't see it being any more entertaining without it. Um, it it's not. But we're still gonna we'll, we'll watch eight. I'm sure the the worst one and six was good fun. Although it was uh, there was I think there was a, a point where I was like, oh, this is just horrible now, and it, it stopped being fun. It is more of a comedy though. Yeah, I have to admit it's. Oh, it's well, yeah. There were definitely comedy. moments that I just laughed the hell out loud. That was great. But um, okay, so yeah, back to the super secret, serious melodrama, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street two. So I mean, the basic pre- let's let's hurry these ones up because we've got a lot more to get through. The basic premise is this kid has is very confused, no, never really thinks the word gay, but basically seems to be quite close to this school bully. Uh, ends up like he 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 ends up necking with the girl and like like. He ends up motorboating her boobs at one point in a, in a uh, cabana, and then he immediately like he's, he gets the huge Freddy tongue, and it's like, oh my god, I got a fat tongue, I got to get out of here quick. And immediately goes to this guy's bedroom and then slaughters the shit out of him. Yep. You, basically, you've kind of you've jumped over one of the essential points of this, which is basically that Freddy possesses him. Yeah. Unlike the first one, it's not about um, Freddy just trying to enter the kid's dreams. It's about him trying to take possession. So it actually, it's it's more uh, in line with something like, say, The Conjuring, uh, which mm-hmm. I uh, saw recently. The idea that you know, um, those the process of possession uh, of like wearing down. At, uh, was it? What's the actual stages? It's like basically um, oppression, then. St- Stage two, and then stage three is possession. Profit. <laughs> um, either, either way, basically, it's about wearing someone down until they feel they have no other uh, place to turn and uh, and creeping in. And it's it's really quite insidious. That I couldn't would think of any other be. word for it. <laughs> Those stages would also fit very well in terms of how you um, traumatize your kids or your partner if you are a very abusive person and you want to completely and utterly crush them yeah um and that i think is is 
the parallel of this story because he has such a terrible relationship with his father who I mean, superficially, his dad doesn't seem all that bad. He's not violent, particularly. Mm. Um, he's He seems like a very respectable, um, suit-wearing, newspaper-reading, um, logical, look-for-the-rational-explanation-and-everything the kind of guy. But he is ridiculously dismissive of his son, um, completely ignores anything that, that might be... Um, how he wants to live his life and, and insists on, you know, you must do things my way. And when his mum, who seems caring if ineffectual, tries to make suggestions for things that might actually help him, um, like at one point I think she suggests that he, he should maybe see a psychologist, um, his dad runs roughshod over all of it yeah. and just completely dominates this poor kid's life. And, and again, what I found really fascinating about this one, although it's um, possibly a little bit too over the top in terms of the acting to really be considered particularly good, um, was that the, there was a very um, authentic psychological core to what was going on with Jesse and that ultimately it's his... Um, his anger at his father and his life that is what lets Freddie in and then the terror of what his own, what could be interpreted as being his own anger reaching out in the form of Freddie um, is going to end up hurting people that he cares about. Yeah. Oh, uh, some corrections. It's infestation, oppression, possession. It's cyber seduction, his secret life. And uh, it's... Ron Grady. Yes. I, I was kind of disappointed there was no showdown with the father. Yeah. At all. It, it's sort of like it culminates in the basement again. Mm. And it's all about uh, Lisa, who frankly doesn't really have that much to do with this scenario. She's the woman who's trying to save him. She's the woman who won't give up on him. And he keeps pushing her away. And eventually it gets to the point where he's going to kill her. And he doesn't. Um, and it's... The first film is about conquering your fears and no longer being afraid of your fears, hence depowering Freddy. The second one is Love Saves the Day. Yeah, yeah. It's also the, the safe ending because the other way to interpret this film I've heard of, and it's an interesting take on it, is that it is a, it's a gay love story between Jesse and his best friend who he inevitably kills, or, or Freddy inevitably kills. And the interpretation is it, it's about it's about being gay and Freddy is eight. Oof. Which is really depressing and dark. Yeah, that is uh, that's dodgy. Uh, the um... but you you can, sorry just to to follow on with that point, you can also interpret Lisa if you're seeing the whole thing as um, as more metaphorical. You can interpret Lisa as Jesse's repressed uh, feminine side hmm. yeah, that eventually so. is able to save him in some form there is one moment when i mean for a start this sort of changes the rules a bit of the original nightmare in that uh, when he experiences these nightmares uh, he ends up sleepwalking and he ends up in a fugue state um far from home but because i wasn't sure what was going on it, like he ends up in a bar which seems like it's a gay bar it is a gay and bar. his coach is there in yep. like a leather vest and then he grabs him and takes him back to the school. I thought it was like, you're in a bar drinking beer. Now I gotcha. It's such a weird, like, no explanation scene. And then he takes him to the school, like, makes him run around the gym. And then when he hits the showers, the coach comes in and then gets strapped to the uh, uh, showers 
by what was it skipping ropes mm. yeah and then flayed i think it's like whipped whipped yeah towel whipped and then um sliced up by invisible uh, forces and uh, it's disturbing as all hell and you're not sure if it's a dream or not because again, it changes the rules, sort of. Which is a good idea to do with again with the dreams, because sometimes we have those dreams where we're never quite sure where they are or they aren't. Yeah. Until you wake up and you go, "Oh, wait, that was." But that's that's the what I kind of like where it's it's not <laughs> the only way it's surreal esque is perhaps the way of putting it. It's it's not really surreal. We don't get to that till about four or five, whichever one the dream child is. Yeah. Um, that was when we started saying, five. "If your phone turns into a lobster, get out." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, that um, always record turns into a Dali painting. Yeah, it melts. Her record. Uh, yeah, I like that. I like I like that much better than I think the the, the later films rely on the too much. Ah, it's still a dream. It's it's all normal, but no, it's still a dream. That gotcha. That that was a bit late. That always bugs me as being a little bit too lazy. Yeah, mm. uh, and there's also a whole scene when basically he becomes Freddy at a party, and then almost kills Lisa and then charges outside and butchers about 10 kids in the pool. Ever referenced again. Yeah. Yeah. What happened there? Cause they when in the later films, when they start talking about uh, all the kids of the parents who were originally involved in Freddie's murder, mm-hmm. um, having been disposed of, how does the coach fit into this? Was he involved? What about all those kids in the swimming pool? Were every single one of their parents involved in this? Okay, and what about the kids who escaped? Were they were they not involved? I'm, collateral I'm, damage? Who yeah. moved away from uh, Springdale? Yeah. I, I, allow me to put my my law nerd hat on and say, yep. when it comes to the law of the... Thank you. <laughs> there was a sound effect of my hat going on. Um, Fedora. <laughs> <laughs> this is me. It's, it's going to be a top hat. Um uh, when it comes to the law, two is disregarded, unfortunately. Oh, I see. Uh, so you go law-wise for the main part. What so one of the better ones is disregarded. Yeah. Well, yeah. Jesse's not originally from Springwood, is he? They've recently no, he moved, moved there. Yeah, they yeah. moved to uh, Nancy's house, folks. So yeah. uh, that's that's pretty much it for this film. Unless anyone's got any more to say on two, I would say out of all of them, it's an underrated one. It's well worth a watch. Mm. Yeah, there's some really nice little um, subtle touches as well. One of the things that I noticed, this being so subtle, I don't even know if it was deliberate or not. Mm. Um, the the idea that um, that in his attempt to um, uh, break away from what he hates about his father, Jesse might in some way be replicating his father's. Um, actions and behavior Mm. at the very beginning when jesse's dreaming about being on the bus and um, there's a point where the driver is is coming down towards the back of the bus when it's balanced on that column thing and he puts he's got the two girls in front of him and he puts his arms around them sort of in a way that although they're in front of him he's behaving protectively towards them Mm. Um, the scene where the bird goes nuts and attacks the family his father does the same thing with him and his sister yeah so it's it's almost like that that sort of the the battle of the protective with the angry is is sort of constantly there and that is obviously being passed on from the father to the son which again reinforces the idea that the really the really good the the better elements of these films are about this whole um sins of the father's theme yeah Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors. Or where the quips start. 
Yeah, uh, this is another one of the uh, fan favourites. This got 74%, so it went back up from uh, 42 for the last one. Uh, made in 1987, so two years later, by uh, Chuck Russell. I will briefly mention that the poster for two is actually really quite good. It's got uh, the uh, guy looking in the mirror uh, like whilst hugging a girl, and his reflection has a sort of a skull face, and he's got the uh, the Freddy glove on, and it's basically about the monster is beca- is coming out of him. I will say up until five, they use these very uh, painted poster style, and I love all of them. They're all different, and I miss that style. Uh, Horror movies used to do it a lot, uh, and the only sort of big franchise I can think of that uses these, and they're they're much better than these, don't get me wrong. There's there's levels. I mean, the horror movie ones are good, but what I'm about to mention are the best. It's obviously Star Wars. Yeah. use those gorgeously painted artwork. Yeah. Drew Struson rules. He does. Yes. I will talk about him later. But uh, yeah, the uh, it's it's important to mention that the uh, posters, the the poster for this one has a bunch of kids. Like all you can see is their backs, and they're holding a bunch of medieval weaponry whilst wearing teenage clothes and balancing each. Like they're walking along a tightrope of Freddy's outstretched razor fingernails and walking towards his great big face. <laughs> a lot of the time in the posters, he's got one big bug eye poking out. I don't know why they kept going for this theme. It wasn't replicated in the movies, but it's. Because it recurs, it feels like there's a continuity among the posters. That's one to check out. Also, the original Nightmare on Elm Street poster with uh, Heather sleeping and the the, uh, hand coming up and out. That's great. I want that as a poster on my wall. I have been told no. It'll get nightmares. It's true, but it's like, I have Ghostbusters. That's fine. But I I love the the poster for one and, strangely enough, four, Mm. my two favourites. Speaking of the posters, actually, that as Alex said at the beginning, I I hadn't seen any of these, certainly not in full. I'd, I think I'd seen little tiny clips from one, mm-hmm. um, but I'd, I'd never seen the the films in their entirety until we started watching them for this. And I, but I did know of them because of hmm. um, a place I used to live when I was about must have been about between six and eight. There was one of these shops that turns up on estates where they do everything like it was a greengrocers and it sold um toys and it had um you know meat and everything you could possibly want including video rental and all around the store they had these posters of all sorts of films um that were that were out and available and mostly it was nightmare on elm street posters and police academy posters yes and, <laughs> and yes i, I remember days like this <laughs> I'd, I'd see these posters obviously not be allowed to watch the films because i was seven um and um, but i'd kind of compose little stories that might possibly go with what this poster <laughs> might be about um, I now know I was completely wrong on all counts but it was an interesting exercise see I asked Lyra what's this uh, movie about and she said it's about a school for policemen and they're all very silly I went yep exactly right <laughs> police academy <laughs> slightly harder to get wrong really <laughs> exactly um, but uh, anyway, so this uh, this cost four point five million. So that's uh, versus three for the last one. It made forty four million, possibly because of the return of Nancy, possibly because it was just much more approachable. Can uh, we just quickly mention two of the screenwriters: one a returning in name, and one a name that people really do love nowadays. Wes Craven had returned to the series, yep. and so people felt that it was going to be more authentic. Who else? Frank Darabont. Oh yes. Ooh. Another big fan of Drew Strutson, the, um, the the guy behind The Walking Dead, The Green Mile, Shawshank Redemption, The Mist. Yeah. 
pretty so major guy. Mm. Shame about the other two, but the, again, you can sort of tell that this. You can tell this. This two. This, there is a quite a multitude of writers. Some taking it seriously and some not so. Yeah, yeah this, this is, is very is up and down. Very in terms mixed of, bag for yeah. me. Some this, some bits of it are, I think, are really excellent. Some bits are like, what really? Uh, one thing I, I really like about this, and <laughs> this is going to make me sound horrible. Oh, I like a lot of the deaths in this. Welcome to prime time, bitch. Uh, that is the one. I, on, that's I, not a Freddy voice. Welcome to prime time, bitch. You can't do it. It's it's a hard voice. But the uh, <laughs> in the final confrontation, a lot of the deaths actually the way they are the the, the characters are killed. Uh, applies to why they're there the fears that they have yeah. you have the guy that's you know afraid of going back you know he pretends he's this all-powerful wizard mm. but in the end of the day it's back in the chair yeah or you have and i forgot a name now but the girl that's trying to get clean from drugs and kills her with drugs and you know it's all that or you've got the guy who just that, wait, that got this film banned from australia by the way because they were like well, we've got a heroin problem we don't want a f- film which for some reason endorses heroin addiction <laughs> it doesn't it's endorse it you mentalist <laughs> Basically, the people of Australia, when they finally saw it, were like, that's laughable. You wouldn't let us see that for years because you said it might make us addicted to heroin? Australia's a weird country. It is. It is a very weird country. They baby their children and their adults. Um, So I like the way a lot of the deaths either apply to the fears that the characters have or the desires in some uh, aspects of, uh, like, Patricia. You know, we joked about the welcome to primetime bitch, but, like, the whole thing about Patricia Arquette's thing is she wants to be an actress, she wants to be famous... Kirsten. No, that's. I was going to say that's not Patricia Arquette. No, it's not. Sorry, it was. Ah, uh, oh, help me out here. Girl whose name I can't remember. The girl yes. who wants to be on TV. Now we get. We know. Yeah, completely know exactly who you mean. Also, least to perhaps, I still think this is the most weirdest cameo in the entire Nightmare franchise. You get Shasha Gabor doing a cameo. It was. We actually thought she was going to come out of the TV because she gets credited at the beginning. I was like, Shasha Gabor. It's simply really? fabulous, darling. So when she turns up on a game show and they're talking about Freddy, and then, like, for folks who haven't seen it, we've got to explain this shit, because we, we haven't do. started. <laughs> right, no, okay. we haven't. So we're actually, rather than being in Elm Street, we're in a hospital where there's a lot of deeply um, traumatized uh, young teenagers who've been having terrible dreams, and they've been put there um, to, to get better, principally, and uh, everyone's going, there's no such thing as Freddy, blah, 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 blah. And Freddy keeps trying to come back through them. Uh, not seemingly in the possession way, but just basically getting back into their dreams, like in the way of the first one. Uh, and Nancy turns up, and she's interested in what's going on. And clearly she uh, she sort of like says some like, like flashes a card and goes, dream specialist. And for some reason is allowed to hang out with them from there. Well, no, she's, she is trained as a psychologist. She's a, a sleep therapist. Okay. Um, but I don't know if they if they summoned her or if she'd been asked to come here. I think, I she, think she's keeping an eye on things. Yeah, I think she, I seem to recall them talking about her applying to mm. um, to come there as an intern. So it's this kind of breakfast club group of students who I really, you know, it would have been great to see them, you know, hanging out together more and just like really, like again, this film could do it with a remake. So if they were going to remake them, remake the first and the third. Which, to be fair, the first and the third are meant to be pretty much paralleling they are meant to be sequels and then you get into the weirdness of seven yeah um uh, I mean, that doesn't mean it's it's flawless by any means but it's just it's got some really strong elements to it and uh, these kids like um they're, they're really quite young and naive uh, you've got kirsten played by um 
uh, Patricia Arquette, who's got a rich, dismissive mother, and she's like, oh, mother. Uh, but this girl screams, and a little bit of that scream goes a long way. My God. She screams so many times in the movie, I'm just like, okay, stop, please. Freddie, could you kill her? Just stop it, please. <laughs> Spoilers. You have to wait till the next one. <sighs> no, the next one but one. Is it next? Does, does he kill her in the next one? I'm sure. I'm sorry. I think she gets away free. I'm, sh- I'm sure she does him. I, I have to admit that four and five mixed together into one another. Well, one another in my head, so it's always awkward to tell those two apart. So anyway, yeah. So there's a bunch of kids in there, and like one of them likes D and D, and he's in a wheelchair. And so basically, D and D is his freedom, is his escape. And Freddy kills him by um, oppressing him with a big spiky wheelchair later on. But the the idea is that they're trying to um, take Freddy on. And there's this really unsettling scene where the kid who likes to make marionette puppets, like, Freddy rips his veins tendons. out. Tendons. It's, it's and tendons. puppeteers him along. So he's sort of, like, walking along with his tendons, sort of, like... Uh, it's really unsettling and gruesome. And, and like, creepy. Yeah, it's, it's the goriest thing that's happened so far in the series. Maybe of all of them, actually. It is the, uh, this because is of the, the standout sustained one. horror. Yeah. Uh, and, and then he, he puppeteers him up to the top of the bell tower and tosses the kid to his death. And that made it feel very much more personal because ultimately none of the adults believe that it was uh, anything other than a teen suicide. So this kind of ties in with something that's, um, you know, it, it's not about that they're being like, oh, these teenagers died, but we don't know how. It's these teenagers died, we can explain this away way too easily. And they've got this horrible um, psychologist doctor who actually says at one point, would you all stop blaming your weaknesses on your dreams? Which is maybe the dumbest thing you could say in a sleep clinic. Yeah. Ugh. Um, so, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's mostly kind of well handled. But this is when Freddy also starts wisecracking. So there's this one girl who's trying not to uh, fall asleep. So she's watching TV and she actually must fall asleep because then Freddy turns up on the TV and literally bursts out of the TV, grabs her and rams her head into the TV and says the immortal line, Welcome to primetime, bitch. You do it better than I do. Um, so, yeah, then they also go. This, this, it's a two-handed one because there's what's Nancy's friend called? The guy. There's this old, like, middle-aged-ish... Older doctor. Youngish doctor man guy who's <laughs> doing, going off on, a to- like, a total, like, B-plot thing <sighs> where he's trying to find out how Freddy came to be. And it turns yeah. out... <sighs> Do you want to laugh? The, the, yeah. His name's Neil. His name's Neil? Oh, the doctor. Yes, Dr. Ah. Neil Gordon. <laughs> okay, so Neil Gordon goes to the, like, the east wing of this hospital and finds out that, it, according to a spooky nun, that it used to be a lunatic asylum. And there was this one time a nurse got locked in with all the inmates over the weekend, and they raped her over and over and over and over again, hundreds of times. And the child that was the product of that, that was the beginning of Fred Krueger. And he is... Go for it, Neil. The bastard son of a thousand maniacs. Yeah. A hundred maniacs. Oh, a hundred maniacs. Eh, Maybe a thousand. Who's counting at this stage? This, this, Like I said, this is the weird tunnel thing where you've got... I would assume that it's Craven and Darabont taking it in the creepy, serious way, and it's the other two taking it into the... Uh, how do I pre- uh, the best way of probably putting it is exploitation. I was going to say fantastagoria sense. Right. Whereas okay. it's the gory fantastical. You know, it just goes off into the batched insane way, really, which yeah. is 
where the where we go from here after this point. Hence, why we get sort of Freddy becoming the wisecracker. Uh, you know, some of those lines still make me laugh. Now, I'm sorry, I, I hold my hands up. I'm simple to amuse sometimes. But, <laughs> you know, some of them are funny. But yeah, uh, but, but the, you, you, is like the first time that he's like, right now, I'm going to be mugging to camera. Yes, and if one if there's one thing Robert Engel can do with style, it's mug to camera. I don't think he's ever not mugged to camera. I'm glad that they didn't let him do that for the first one because it actually it retains a certain power with him not doing that. If he mugged, it would not work. Yeah, it wouldn't have been scary in the same way. Also, but, if you get your casting wrong, it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, so anyway, either way, this this Neil guy is chasing after Freddy's corpse because he's like, we've got to lay it to rest. Turns out it's buried in a junkyard in... No, no, wait. It's buried in... A, it's in a trailer in a junkyard. No, it's in the boot of a car. A very familiar car. Sorry. Um, is it the Evil Dead car? No, it's in the boot of the car from the first film. Oh, I see. Right, with the Freddy type. Well, that's actually quite... That works because basically Nancy drives gets driven off captivated by this car. And clearly, this is like they they stashed his body here for some reason. Um, Nancy's mum kept the glove. And there's that one, which is really weird. I don't get why you'd ever do that. Weird. She's a creepy, weird woman, and she, she gets killed weird. twice. She gets like she gets turned into a corpse and lowered into the bed with like it's glowing in the smoke, and then she gets yanked into through a door window both times. Pretty a one movie deaths. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, at this point, like, they, they didn't bury Freddy. So Neil gets Nancy's... Not me. I almost called her Sydney. Uh, <laughs> gets Nancy's father, like, out of the, the pub because he's an old rummy now. He's, like, he was a, he's still sheriff, but, they, you know, he's also, like, drinking his cares away. And they go to this unconsecrated ground, pull out Freddy's corpse, and try, try to bury it. And he's got, like, a whiskey bottle full of holy water. And he sort of scatters that and is like, well, that'll work. Take him to actual consecrated ground. Did it get it done right? Yeah, because yeah, they buggered this up. We get four and five. They really did bugger this up, and we get four and five as a result. But worse than that, basically, like they what happens is Jason and the Argonauts, the skeleton gets up and starts kicking wholesale ass at oh. this stage. <laughs> which, which is now just laughably funny. It is yes. quite um, and, and I just love that kind of that kind of skeleton effects. So I always relish that sort of scenario. And this is when all the kids are trying to take down Freddy and failing. And at the very, very end, Nancy gets killed, which feels like a waste. But at the same time, I don't know what she'd have done in four and five. I, I think it's more a point that it's the sacrifice to win. Yeah. They had to lose something to win. But considering that she sacrifices herself for... Uh, Oh no, he does kill uh, Kirsten. See, here's this is the problem with recasting. You okay, forgot we'll it was about her that in because a it wasn't Patricia Arquette. Yeah, you? right. So Nancy basically died for nothing because all these kids get killed in the next film anyway. The remaining ones. So basically, <laughs> Nancy should just have moved away from Elm Street and just like dealt with it. Also, I just looked up the car because I had the suspicion, and I can't find it for definite. For definite, I think the car's a freaking Plymouth Fury. Nice. If you don't know what we're talking about, Christine. Christine. I thought that when the lights came on and the bonnet started going, I was like, oh, my God, Christine is in this compound. Just just one last joke about this, because I love, to this day, I still love what, um, oh, I forgot his name. Ah! Eddie Kruger. Uh, no. Um, okay. Neil. John Carpenter says about Christine. Okay. 
everybody has the right to make a Stephen King film. Badly. (laughs) (laughs) And so many people have. And this is one of the better ones. Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, 56%. Made in 1988, one year after the third one. uh, Cost $13 million. Let's just go back there. The last one was 4.5. The one before that was 3. The one before that was 1.5. So this 13 million is more than the last three put together. Yep. And it made 49 million, which was only 5 million more than the last one. I also think they ran out. I think this is the one where they ran out of budget. How do you run out of 13 million dollars? The way I know this is there's the I think I'm sure it's this one where the brothers killed by an invisible Freddy. Yeah. Because they couldn't afford the makeup. <laughs> That's why he cheats to win. There because they couldn't afford the makeup. A worse spending. I mean, there has, obviously, Lone Ranger and various other films which cost a huge amount of money and made like John Carter and made nobody happy. But um, yeah, $13 million. And Rennie Harlan, director of Cliffhanger and Die Hard 2 and The Adventures of Ford Fairlane. And the long kiss goodnight and carob sorry and cutthroat island is an action director and they got an action film. Yep. Like there's a bit where um, Kincaid ends up running through that um, junkyard that we mentioned earlier because he goes he goes back to that junkyard in a dream for no reason. Oh my god! And the dog (laughs) took by the resurrection. And the dog (laughs) is there. And the grave is open, and the dog is there, and the dog pisses, and the piss becomes fire immediately. So the dog pisses fire onto the skeleton. And I, basically I shouted at that point, what are we watching? A Rennie Holland movie. And immediately Kincaid runs away, and there's loads of sparks that basically say, you're watching an 80s action movie. Yeah. And then there's a really good effect, because he goes, no! and the camera pans up and up and up and the entire world is a junkyard it's 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 a good that's maybe the best moment in the film i mean coupled with the dog pissing fire i still don't get it uh yeah the resurrection makes no i think the whole point is i'm sure it starts off with kirsten going back to the boiler room a lot and kincaid saying to her look stop going there you're remembering you're bringing the fear back you'll bring him back gotcha and but by that point because she's passed it on to him, the fear yeah. is spreading, hence giving him just enough enough juice, shall we say, to to resurrect and come back. Nobody made the parallel of AIDS for this one. No, no, because gayness wasn't involved in that's different kind of AIDS. Brilliant. Okay, <laughs> so um, yeah, anyway, Kirsten is supposed to be. <laughs> Ah, uh, Patricia Arquette, but she's not. So you might is uh, how do we know it's this girl? We there's no yeah, that is a really big problem. With that, no the, and she's only in it for about twelve minutes. It, yeah, it, she's Tuesday night. You couldn't get that. By the way, that's not a joke. That's the actress's name. Okay, so Tuesday nights in this, and then Kirsten gets killed and like passes the power on the power to jump in. Oh, I forgot. Kirsten has the power to jump into other people's dreams. It yes. came into play in the third one, and she passes it on like she knows how to pass it on. Just like vum, and I pass it on to you. She like, throws it in the dream. Like a hadouken. She had, yeah, she hadoukens her with this um, power, and then Freddie's like, "Right, I'm going to get this girl, Alice. Is she a cousin? Is she a friend?" It's a friend, I think. Friend, I suppose. So now we're with Alice and Dan. Like, why couldn't Alice just be someone who had this power as well? 
Because it's the Phantasmagoria. It has to. Yeah, yeah I know. So uh, they, like, basically, going back to what I said about surviving a horror movie. <laughs> well, then killed at the beginning of the next one. You shit all over the end of the, the other one. It's basically like, well, anything you may have learned was all for nothing. And uh, I mean, I'm going to say Halloween Resurrection at this stage. That you know, trick or treat, motherfucker. I think we mentioned that in Scream as well. Like, just like if what's another film where somebody like uh, I'm not going to spoil Scream Two, but there's an obvious person who survives Scream One and is then killed in Scream Two. Although it's not at the beginning, so it's uh, at least that that's a shocking moment. Maybe well, the best moment. <laughs> tangent warning, but for the record, if they had done the sequel to. Freddy versus Jason that they wanted to do, which was Freddy versus Jason versus Ash. They would have killed Ash? No, they would have killed the two survivors from the first film. Oh, right. Which no one cared, because once you introduce Ash, no one cares about anybody else because Ash is here. Ash really doesn't work with that. No, it doesn't. Looking at the tone of that, it wouldn't work at all. It it doesn't. It's it's not good. Uh, So anyway, Resurrected Freddy has all the powers. Yes, he, he appears to be flesh and bone, but he can go into people's dreams and he can do anything. And he basically just he's he's like Superman. He can literally do anything he wants. This but is better for, than Kyle. But better than care. Basically, the whole point of this is this is the point where we've gone from Freddy is the bad guy to Freddy is the reason you're here to watch these films. Bingo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the point at which it ceases to become scary. Yes, it it's, just. I still think they do. A good element uh, with the kills in this, where they still they try to incorporate things that are at least visually interesting mm. for the most part. Yeah, I mean it's, it's visually interesting, and the, the fact that they have got this action movie director, he definitely isn't slacking on in terms of like trying to be eye popping. Mm. But or now that you mentioned, yeah, now that you mentioned that they run out of budget, that does make sense. There are some bits that I'm like, that's incredibly cheap. Mm. Um, but there's inconsistent dream physics with the first and the second and the, and third, the third and, and the indeed, its own internal logic. Yeah. The bit with the junkyard, for example, he's killing kids in their dreams like he did in the first one. But the bit in um, the waterbed is basically the analogue of the Glen death, right? But, like, so he's, he's dreaming that there's a chick inside his waterbed, a really hot naked chick. So he, he sort of I like... Yep, and he pulls back the sheet. This is one of the kids from the previous movie, the, the kid who previously couldn't talk and is nothing like he is in that first one, mm. in three. And now he's a horny little bugger and he sees this uh, uh, naked girl. He's like, i got to get me some of that. And then he like he starts to go into his waterbed. Uh, like there's light behind it so you can see what's going on. And then Freddy's in there and they start thrashing around and he fucking slices into pieces. And I said to Sharon, this would actually be so much better with a sense more of creeping dread where he slides through the waterbed to the girl and the girl does a shining chick. And then he's basically underneath the uh, thing in the waterbed drowning. No blades required at all. And that would actually be really chilling. And, and just the idea that you, you would you know, could actually to get in there. There were actually so many times in all of these movies where had they taken a leaf out of the book of the first film and gone for just something that would just make you go, oh, God, as opposed to, ah, it would have been so much more effective. Also, by messing up the um, the, the characters, and I'm, I'm not saying that they had to devote ages of character development to them. I mean, it's pretty obvious it's not that kind of film. Mm. But... Like you say, with um, with Joey, they completely detach from what was um, was so 
appealing, I suppose, about his character in the first one. He's a, in the first, in the third one, where he first turns up. He's this lonely kid, and the the reason that it's sex that kind of pulls him away from the others to enable him to be attacked is because he just wants companionship and and somebody to be with. Mm. And in this, it's just it's just all you know, way boobs. Yeah. <laughs> At least, at least they sort of it is established in like the previous one that it, it, he fell for this trick before. Mm. <laughs> and but then his mum comes in and finds him floating inside, inside the waterbed, and it hasn't been ripped open like it was in his dream. So it's again they're going back on themselves within the film, which makes no sense. Yeah, I do one or the other. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's they sac. I think they sacrifice internal movie logic for cool visual there yeah and i can't remember how this one finishes is it uh is it's the mum or no the, the dream shot no that's, that's the mom. Mom. this is the showdown in the search in the sorry in, in the, the church. church oh yeah yeah where it's showing was it it's like showing evil its true self it's basically freddy's to be to buy a mirror yeah it's mum. yeah he style. used mirrors in the third film totally um yeah she she like she gears up and she action movie gears up it's like schwarzenegger in commando and she like puts on a belt around her hand and then she like uh, like she really like machos up goes into the church kicks the fuck out of freddy krueger and it's like yay and then she shows him his horrible face in the mirror and it's like be gone satan and he's gone and she beat him and it's like oh that was kind of a fun action movie ending the film is toss Mm. but it was kind of nice to see him defeated properly Yes. Very specifically with her armoring up, though, she's taking elements of each of her friends. It's She's reinforcing herself ah. with them. It's the, the belt belonged to... Um, uh, Kincaid, I, I think. Yeah. yeah, I think it was Kincaid's. The, um, the studded wrist protector that she puts yeah. on belonged to the girl who works out. Um, so the possession the... element of uh, two is actually Harry uh, in uh, Order of the Phoenix, and uh, you've got to mean it, Harry. And the idea that Voldemort's actually beginning to have a greater and greater evil influence on him. And the way he defends against that is by remembering all of his friends and and focusing on them being what separates him from Voldemort. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, but that's obviously, that's it. that's in a much much better thought out story. But uh, that's that's taking the two best elements of the of those two films. Mm, yeah. And then at the very end, she uh, she's like with a wishing well with this guy. He's a waste of space, isn't he? Um, <laughs> Don't worry, he doesn't last long either. No, he does not. And she says, uh, "Oh, yeah, he goes, wait, make a wish in the fountain." But if I wish. I tell you what it is, it won't come true, and like Freddy is sealed away, and that would have been quite a good ending to the series, and of course it continued. Yeah, of With course it did. Nightmare on Elm Street Five: The Dream Child, made in 1989, cost eight million, made 22 million. So this point is the law of diminishing returns. It's making they're making less and less, and although the last one cost 13. Eight million is still considerably more than the four point five that the third one cost. I don't know how they justified it either. People don't need that level of budget. The first one didn't need that level of budget. How how do you justify that to a studio? It's awkward, especially after they've seen the film. Yeah, bear in mind that these films, in terms of the studio, were cheap to make and made money. Yeah, that's why we got we got all the way to six really, and six is the death nail. We, yeah, I think they got they, they probably got the eight million on proviso that they were going to make about forty million back because it was like forty four then forty nine. So they were like, well, it's going to be around the thirty forty something. So twenty two underperforming. 
Um, anyway, so Stephen Hopkins, director of The Ghost in the Darkness. Which I like, but it is Jaws with Paws. Nice. I'm going to see that again, though, because, uh, you know... Uh, I, I, I watched it long ago. I still like it. Uh, what else did Stephen Hopkins do? Predator 2. Ah, your fave. <laughs> so no wonder I like it. We also have Judgment Night. Blown Away. Hi. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. What? Flubber? Worse. Worse than Flubber? Jesus. From 1998. Uh, no, you get what? Lost in Space. Ew! A film we will never review. Because no, everyone's forgotten it, and good. But the only good thing for we that hate Apollo 440. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great song. So anyway, this is Alice from the, the first one. I would say and Dan, but Dan's useless and gets killed really quickly. I feel the need. This the is, need for speed. This is the one oh. with the what factor. There's just so many times that I'm like, what? Yeah. Right. It starts off. She goes, oh, God. Like she has a dream about the, the remember the, the the nurse who got uh, oh we forgot to say the twist of three the the the, the ghostly nun who was uh, telling um, Neil about the bastard son of a hundred maniacs was in fact that unfortunate nurse and was in fact Mrs. Mommy Kruger and that Amanda comes Kruger. Amanda Kruger and that comes into play majorly in this one because Amanda Kruger is back in very youthful style. Um, so anyway, yeah, you get to live that experience. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was like, what are they really going to show at this point? And basically, she gets descended upon by a hundred maniacs, but then they carefully cut away. These days, I'm not sure they would. You've got Game of Thrones they wouldn't. to match. They wouldn't go away. So. so that's, I mean, that's frankly how innocent and sweet horror movies were in the 80s. This actually has some of my more favourite um, dream sequences moments the comic oh, yeah. book one being one of my favourites we were predicting the comic book one for ages and I was saying like, what wouldn't it be really- it applies yeah. itself so well yeah um, there was the bit with the jeans Sharon yeah that <laughs> threw me she's walking through the room right she gets out of bed um, she, she takes six seconds and goes that was a terrible nightmare I was raped over and over again and then Freddie comes in and it was a dream with him and a dream he's like ah it was a, and then she wakes up again and she's like oh that was terrible oh, better go have a shower yeah and then she, she looks out of the window and it's like oh the sun is shining the birds are singing let's just forget about that incredibly horrible nightmare I just had and then she um, has and a shower and like the shower fills up or is this before the dream or she has no 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 that's that's part of the dream and okay. that's the wake up dream within a dream thing then she goes in her shower, room okay. in her room she has the most bizarre pot plant holder I have ever seen it <laughs> is a pair of acid wash jeans so ladies filled in with something so that they stand up, looking for all the world like their attached torso has been removed from them. Um, and then somebody put a plant in it. You know that some, they were just walking around a garden centre and like the, the prop finder went, oh, that is awesome. i got to get that for the apartment. It just I, I looks so weird. Really People will go, what? 80s. <laughs> just a, a I mean, the acid-washed jeans on their own does that. Yeah. Exactly. But turning them into a pot plant. 
So uh, then, then we get like you get to live the breached birth of uh, uh, Freddy Krueger, and the doctor says, "Sharon, this bit made you go no." Oh god, right. I know it's it's a tiny thing, and I'm so I know that with horror movies, you've kind of got to go. Look, they haven't researched anything. Um, just let it go. Ah, deep sleep. That's the best time for dreams. Indeed. Um, she she goes into labour, and they go. Oh, the they were at a breached. sleep clinic at that point. They, they 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 went to a clinic of some kind to film that. Surely they could have asked someone, spent two seconds on the phone, when's the best time for dreaming? Read a book. Sorry, carry on. Uh, what's the, the, the breach birth thing? Um, yeah, so they, they go, oh, Amanda, the baby's breach. Uh, and, and this is like really panicky, urgent emergency labour here. I'm going to turn it. No, no, because here's the thing. If she's actively in labour, the only way you know it's breach is because the feet have just come out. And at that point, you ain't turning nothing. A fair point. Yes. You'd have to turn it sideways. If you if you want to turn a breech baby, it has to happen like several weeks before labour, not mm-hmm. in the middle of labour. Once so, you see feet, you just get the thing out. So this fetus skitters out onto the floor and all the nurses go, ah! and then the fetus turns around and goes, <laughs> were you hoping it was going to pull out a, a top hat and can go, hello, It's astonishing. I think this might have been after Spaceballs as well. I think it was. 1989, let me just check this one. Verification required. Which means you have no excuse. Oh, yes. 1987. Jesus Christ, dude! You have to understand that that right now, right there, is just ridiculous. When Mel Brooks has parodied something like that, Oh yes, it it makes it it makes Alien comical. It's going to make this farcical, but I think they kind of. Um, I would say by this point it isn't. It's a comedy, a horror comedy. Horror first, then the comedy, but the comedy. A comedy. It's very prevalent. You know, you have comedy horrors and horror comedy. So you got something like say Took American Wolf and Took Dale versus Evil, which is comedy, comedy first, horror. then horror. Whereas American Wolf in London is horror first. Second, but it's also really, really funny. Yeah, um, the constant labour of getting people to believe you rears its ugly head again. Five films, says, five, five freaking films. Says, oh, there's Freddy Krueger's trying to get in, and all the adults are like, "No, no, you're talking." And bollocks. all the friends are like, "No, no." At this stage, I was like, "Haven't any of you people grown up yet? Is Freddy ever going to deal with people who might be believed?" And apparently, even if you're an adult, um, Heather Langenkamp, then. <laughs> No one will believe you about that shit. Um, I want to know what PR firm this town is using because I could take over the world with it. Yeah. Anyway, so the pushy parents-in-law, they, they, they are... Cause Actually, this... Hang on, I think it's the same PR firm that keeps selling Crystal Lake. Yeah, yeah. Come to Camp Crystal Lake. Absolutely nothing will happen to your kids. <laughs> anyway, so... And if you um... believe that, I've got a lovely little puzzle box to sell you. Oh, Nice. <laughs> I wish I was the most sensitive man in the world. 
Anyway, so the... Uh, oh, I've completely lost my thread. Oh, yeah, so Alison... What's his name? Derek Dan... Dim, Dan. 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 Is on his motorbike. And no, he's not. <laughs> in, in the first one... Oh, sorry, in the fourth one, he's in a truck... And then the truck, which is the one where it's like, we got to get in the truck. And then they, they like replay the, we got to get in the truck and go bit. That's four. That's four. Mm. Yeah. That bit's quite good. Cause it's, it keeps playing the same sequence over and over again. You're like, what am I, am I going crazy here? It's, it's good. It's like the way that sometimes dreams make you do the same thing over and over again. You're like, seriously, I've done this. It's done. But uh, yeah, the, uh, you know, not content with that one crash. He's on his motorbike. And then the motorbike turns into the Ghost Rider motorbike. It's a better effect than Ghost Rider. Yeah. This was better and had a better plot than Ghost Rider Spirits of Vengeance. Um, And and then, like, it basically, it, like, Cronenbergs the shit out of him. Very seriously, Cronenbergs. Yeah. And then explodes. And so she has become pregnant with a child who she suddenly believes because Freddie raped her in her dreams is the child of Freddy. And the parents-in-law come around and go, we've got to take this child away from you as soon as it's born because you're mental. And uh, she says, no, I'm, I'm really not. And they say, yes, you are. That's pretty much the conversation that happens. Mm. It's like, cheers, mom and dad, too. Um, and uh, so she, she is... the rest. Of the they f- can't do that. Yeah, Her they parents could, but not they, those parents. The rest of the film is her wrestling with, do I want to have this child? I am afraid of this child, this unborn baby. Um, And it kind of, the whole thing reminded me of that thing Garth Marenghi said of, she knew unborn babies were meant to kick, but were they meant to scratch? No, they weren't. That's uh, his book, Afterbirth, about an unborn mutated fetus that attacks Bristol. Cool it, Sanchez, or you'll get a knuckle supper. Look, Douglas, you're an excellent doctor, but you're also a lifewire maverick, who, when he's not bucking the system, is biting the hand that feeds, which, in your case, it's this hand. Now, I'm not about to tell the immediate family of the deceased that we're going to have to burn what remains of his body in order to close the portal to another dimension. I just won't do it. This hospital's got a reputation, which I intend to keep. I've yet to see any demons on the ward, and I'm particularly observant. So go back to your lab and make me a pill that can cure manners, or I'll kick your ass so hard you'll be able to build a pole in the footprint. Understood? That sounds more interesting than this one. It, it does, and it's they belabor this point, and she's always terrified of this, this infant. And at the same time, she is at least conflicted. It's not a case of, get this thing out of me! Which uh, is where the tension lies, because ultimately when uh, one of her friends comes and says, maybe you should just, like, you know, do something about it, she's like, no, I, I want to have this possible demon I don't know. Ultimately, she's fighting for something at this stage. I think what the the point they're kind of trying to hint at there is that whatever the um, uh, whatever the what's the word I'm looking for here fertilizing source of this particular child, whether it is actually Dan's child or whether it's Freddie's child, whatever its demonic origins may or may not be to her. It's just a baby. And if she has that baby and nurtures it and and raises it well and looks after it, it's probably not going to turn into a little monster. And I think that what they were kind of trying... Horror movies suggest, tropes suggest, yes, it is. Well, yeah. Uh, But I think what they were trying to hint at, although in a very clumsy way, is that once upon a time, Freddy was supposed to be an innocent little child but they've kind of twisted it round so no, no, he was always horrendous and horrible. Yeah, so, that's the next yeah. one. 
So that's again kind of Voldemorty. Yeah. <sighs> There's but, one point but when Voldemort's um, Voldemort's source of terror is to do with how he was abandoned and you know never had anybody care for him why don't we get to see any of that with freddy because by this point it's not it's not it's not about that and it's no. too far gone to it's be about, about that anything. that's why three are about something fourth and fifth definitely not uh, this this one's to me is the wallpaper film this is the one i've thrown in the background it's not particularly horrifying it's it's mildly amusing in it's places there. but it's there it it, it 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 literally it's it's well it certainly a... does exist <laughs> yeah it, it's these, these what's it about it, it was about 84 minutes well 90 but <laughs> you actually know it by heart. No, I got the DVD box set here. Right. Uh, sorry, Blu-ray box set. But the, the thing is, it's just uh, it's it's a there's nothing. Right, it's, it's 84 bad. minutes in R2 because your your uh, Blu-ray box set is uh, is R1. So, yeah. yeah, but yeah. the point is, it's not it's not particularly good. It's not particularly bad. It's just there. Yeah. It, it's 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 just there. That's the that's the best I can say about it. This you don't need to see this one. It's just if you've watched four, you watch this one just because it's the case of oh, we'll just finish it off. Yeah, if you've yeah. got a box set, you got to you know, chew through it. It's it's only going to be an hour and a half of your life. There are some. Hey, it's not. <laughs> I'd still rather watch this than Transformers. The, um, any of them. The, there's a bit where one of her friends says to her, "Christian mythology." No, I've got this book on Christian mythology, and he basically puts down a black leather-bound book which looks like the Bible. So, Christian mythology, otherwise known as the Bible. And then there is, as you said, the uh, the uh, comic death, which basically we couldn't stop humming. Neil. What were you humming? I was thinking, I sat there and looked and went, when did Comic Zone come out? Nice. That's what I think when I see that now, is when did Comic Zone come out? As in the Mega Drive game. As in the Mega Drive game, yes. 93, a few years later. Oh, wow. And it's not. And it's quite funny considering one of this in six, but... The... Man. Six. Tomorrow, uh, the uh, get so quotable in six. It's so much fun. The um, yeah, the comic death is basically this kid gets sucked into his comic, much like uh, Take on Me, and then Freddy fucks it up, and then he turns into a giant cardboard cutout, and then he slices him to pieces. Now, I said to Sharon before, way before this happened, as soon as I found out the kid liked comics, right? Wouldn't it be really chilling if you never actually saw what happened in the dream sequence? He just disappeared, and then when um, what's her name, Alice came to his room she found the comic just sitting there and she basically just read through the pages of the comic and you got like storyboarded exactly what happened in the dream sequence with really dark creeping music over it and just like all of these sound effects there but very much muted in the background so that they're so quiet you can barely hear it but just like the the chill of like being able to see what it is it's also a hell of a lot cheaper than actually filming it Mm. Um, and basically from that you get someone else's horror at observing your dream in that scenario and specifically since she has that power it kind of ties in with it and that's sort of what happens but they super melodrama overplay it and you get to see the dream sequence and it's like well this is just the cheap shit version of what i just said you know what that reminds me of though the witches 
Um, yeah. The Roald Dahl book. You know where this? she says where the kid disappeared and then turned up in the in picture the and nobody ever saw her move. They just saw this, this Little child girl. gradually growing older and becoming an old woman in the painting. And then one day she just disappeared. And do you know what? That is scarier than anything in Nightmare on Elm Street. To be fair, The Witch is the film and the book are freaking terrifying. Yeah. Anyway, so um, I think the the note I've made here is this film has nothing. So I think pretty much it's there. It is there to make the numbers up. It was there to try and make some money. It is not like I said. It's not particularly bad. It's not particularly good. Oh, and speaking of pinching from other films, the bit when she gets to the MC Escher bit at the end and the stairs going up and up on the ceiling. Labyrinth came out. Yes, I was about to say labyrinth. Thieves! How shame on you. But I did say that, fortunately, the Labyrinth crowd and the Nightmare on Elm Street loving crowd is not exactly a circle in the Venn diagram stakes. So Hello. nobody noticed. <laughs> I, obviously, I love Labyrinth, and but um, I, I probably wouldn't have been watching Nightmare on video at that stage. But, oh, no, uh, I, I, I did watch it. Huh? I've seen, I, you know, for years it bugged me that I had seen that scene or something similar to that scene somewhere else. And then now when Labyrinth came on telly, I was like... <laughs> That's where it's from. I love Labyrinth so deeply. It is a goddamn crying shame that I am reviewing Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, before I review Labyrinth. Or Pan's Labyrinth, for that matter. Shame on me. Or The Dark Crystal. Oh, The Dark Crystal. Man, so many great films. We, we'll do them, folks. We will. We'll <laughs> for the record, guess what I bought Shona for her birthday this Dark year? Dark Crystal on Blu-ray? And, and Labyrinth. Awesome choices. Yay! Anyway, uh, so uh, it finishes with Mum versus Freddy, and basically... Uh, this girl, like Alice, is in a dream, and then Mrs. Kruger comes along and deals with her horrible son and puts him back inside herself, and then runs backwards through some doors and screams and explodes. Yeah, I don't think it's supposed to mean anything apart from yeah, he's gone again. The only bit I actually like it was really touching is the fact that Alice meets her son in the dream. I, I kind of like that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, maybe if you want to interpret it as something, she feels guilty that she let this happen and didn't nurture this child. Yeah. If you, I mean, that, you, you have to really look deep on that one. But, the, the, uh, the, the, yeah, there's, yeah, there's no subtext. There's just surface and it's pretty shallow. She's Merope Gaunt. Only, ultimately, Merope did kind of bring it on herself, although she was a, 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 a pitiful character. Um, this poor woman... Amanda Kruger, was it? Yeah. Really nothing to deserve the shit that happened to her, for God's sake. Anyway, so that's a horrible, grimy, grotty law. And uh, at the end, like, the fetus is fine. And actually, like, isn't it? Like, the kid comes out of her and, like, she's been seeing this kid, kind of like the end of Mass Effect 3. Uh, She's been seeing this kid quite a bit throughout the uh, movie. And then it's like, um, oh, there, that's my unborn baby. And then the kid goes, Freddy. Teach me how to be Freddy. And the guy, Freddy goes, Yeah, okay, sonny boy. And then this kid fucking ha- like shivs him. And yes. so he kind of like fights for his own existence, which is good. I suppose, yeah, quite a good showdown ish, sort of. It, nonsensical, though. <laughs> it, it, it is just sort of a bunch of bollocks. At, at least with the, most of the endings, they make sense. You have, you have Nancy conquering her fears, you yeah. have love conquers all. Okay, uh, three, three. What was three? Three. They pour holy water on him. Eh. Okay, yeah, that one's a bit pants. Third oh. time they tried holy water. <laughs> Don't. I will quote. Um, 
before showing evil its true self or true face. Okay, that that's kind of nicely nice work. This one's I. No, I'm Freddy still... the Ever Living. <laughs> <laughs> I am Freddy the Ever Living. I've turned into Macho Man actually there, haven't I? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, just... Welcome to Prime Time, Chitara. <laughs> you, yeah, you do Momra better than me. <laughs> I do, but you do Freddy better than me. Okay. I mean, I think that we'll leave it for that for that for now. We won't say anything conclusive about it. This is, this is the end of part one, and we will continue with part two. And but if you're looking for recommendations, watch one, two, and three. Uh, uh, ups and downs is all I'll say. Is what we've got coming. Uh, it's an '80s horror franchise. Now, I'll yeah. say this about the '80s and the horror franchises. Yes. Yeah. I, I find this very interesting. How enduring these characters are, because uh, it it's the first. I think it pretty much is the first time since film that we created new horror icons. You know, you were all familiar with the original ones like Dracula, Frankenstein, the Wolfman, Creature from the Black Lagoon. But in the 80s, we actually created new icons. So you, you, you had Jason come along, you had Freddy come along, you had Michael Myers to some extent. Before that, that it was all sort of B-movie related yeah. things. And I suppose you could say The Fly, but that was not like a, like a, a constant yeah. recurring horror no, it, it, it's an iconic film, but it didn't create an iconic character. Whereas, you know, think like, from another world. But, these yeah. guys, yeah, it's, it's the recurring sense. nature of them, and it, it, that was partly down to the fact that because of video, they were in, like they, they became very compulsive viewing. Like the teenagers really like got with them, and, and, and rentals definitely helped that. Yeah, I think that's why I still think New Nightmare has some of the more interesting elements because we touch on a lot of these, but it's something I want to mention is how in the 80s we created these new iconic horror characters that can, in some, they are they may not last as long, but they are still as iconic as the original, you know, as Dracula, as Wolfman and other stuff like that, and how, how they very much are still regarded in that eyes. You know, these characters are still iconic. We're still making their films. Friday's getting They're a still film. in Mortal Kombat games. Yeah. Well, Friday's getting a new film. Nightmare's getting a second reboot. It's the thing to do these days. Your first reboot fails, do it again. And for the record, if you wanted to see Nightmare done in a different way and more interesting way, I am going to say David Fincher because I think he would have a he would do something very interesting with that. Who did I think would be good at doing Oh, Del Toro. But Del I say Toro. Del Toro for everything. Yeah, but Del Toro's would definitely have the imagination. Oh I God, think yes. that this is what you'll find, because you haven't seen it, but one of the biggest things lacking in the remake... Is imagination. Is imagination. Yeah. Yes, you can talk, we talk about, ooh, some of the deaths are grim or not very good, but they're always imaginative. They always play with that dream essence. There's uh, two kid-accessible... Uh, Freddy type films that I'm thinking of at this point. One of them uh, is not a Freddy type film, but it features a Freddy type character. Rise of the Guardians. You ever see that? I haven't seen that one. Jude no. Law plays the bogeyman. The boogeyman. He's he's basically he is see, the embodiment of fear. He infiltrates children's dreams and makes them have nightmares. You know what? Every time you say the boogeyman, I'm sorry. I'm such a wrestling. Because I'm the boogeyman. I hear I am the boogeyman, and I am coming to get you. I'm not entirely sure how well this applies. But the whole 3D... Do you ever see that? No. I think it's Joe Dante. Uh, it's about oh, kids yes, facing their fears, it, yeah. and it's it's a really quite overly creepy. Um, there's a trapdoor in a basement and some kids. And ultimately, here's the thing. I think 
If you're going to do a Nightmare on Elm Street film and do it in a really fresh, interesting way, get 12-year-old kids involved. No, because it would be really freaking creepy. Just make it... Well, no, adjust it. It doesn't have to be gory. It can still be terrifying. It would be unnervingly terrifying. But you make it more like a Stephen King-type story and, and less about the teenagers and uh, take the sex element out of it and um, the, the extreme violence and make it more about fears. With dreamscapes, you have literally infinite possibilities. You could do anything, and you could make anything terrifying. People could die of completely like uh, mundane things that suddenly become really scary. And you could make, I mean, just something like if you focus on a bunch of kids who are really trying to pull together, and you want the kids to all survive, then suddenly you've got a film filled with tension, and. I think that that would be far, far more interesting than seeing a bunch of teenagers get slashed up. Oh, and can I just drop back, at least to the first... Actually, for most of these, you don't want to see any of these kids die. Yeah. By and, yeah How by refreshing and was die. that? The, I mean, there were a couple of people who were totally useless. And you're like, oh, you're not going to care at this point when Freddy um, dispatches them in interesting ways. But most of the time, this series has not been about delivering odious, horrible teenagers that the point is to kill them. No. So, yeah, for that, we applaud it. We will be back tomorrow for more, and we'll appraise whether it goes up and down and whether the the remake is the best of all of them. Right, before I go, there's one thing I want to briefly touch on. If you are a fan of this series, Mm -hmm. there's a fantastic but very, very long documentary called... Oh, is that... Never Sleep Again, The Elm Street Legacy. It is four hours long. I have watched it. Is it on Netflix? It was at one point. I don't know if it still is. Nuts. But it delves into detail in for every film, I think, up to New Nightmare or Final Nightmare. I'm not sure which. It's been a while since I watched it. If you are a fan, it is very, very good. But like I said, four hours. It's a push. Oh, watch it over a course of a few nights. You probably would benefit more than yeah. seeing four and five and many I will of say the it actually shows you it shows you how they did one on practical effects and this is why I love practical effects there was a scene where Freddy pulls up his shirt and you see what are meant to be souls swimming beneath his skin we've never mentioned this have we basically when he kills these kids he absorbs them yes he steals this he Shang Tsung's them he steals this I'll steal your soul your soul is mine play the best song sorry in the world <laughs> <laughs> but it actually shows you they made a freaking oversized mock-up and that's real people swimming beneath his skin nice I mean if he doesn't do that in the Mortal Kombat game that he um, is uh, featured in then they missed a trick to literally suck the person inside and then you see their face going no! I don't think they do that unfortunately mm. It's a shame. Which is the one with tits? I think it might be this one, actually, where I think, Sharon, you said this is really quite uncomfortable because you're getting a lot of kids in there, but like, like there's a woman like tries to pull herself out of his torso and she has definitely got great just tits. Yes, it's this one. Yeah, she comes against. up boob first. Yeah, and it's like, uh, kids, actually, tits. That, the creepy one, I think, is three where you get the naked woman with the Freddy head. Oh, that's God, creepy. I can't remember that. Was that the bit with Joey? Yes, that's how he gets yeah. caught in three. Ugh, that's ah, freaking creepy. I may have walked out to get myself a hot chocolate at that point. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, sorry I missed that. Anyway. No, you're not. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sorry, actually. That would have given me nightmares. Right, so, uh, yeah, we will see you guys tomorrow. And, um... Uh,
thank you very much, Neil, for, for coming on. Uh, they can hear from you on Game Burst, of course. Oh, yep, every Sunday with the new gaming news. So I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And School's, School's Out. out. summer, and I'm going to do that every time I'm on the show. One, two, Freddy's coming for you. Creepy. Gary.
the trouble is, here's a good one for you. Freddy versus Jason. No, you're wrong. It's not a good one. (laughs) Well, no, but in theory, right. You go, you run up to six, which is Freddy's dead. Seven, new nightmare. Yeah. Do you count Freddy as Jason part of that particular timeline or not? Or you know, what I mean, sequence yeah. of films. It's a really I, weird I, I one. Do. We'll talk about that briefly when we uh, get to that film. But uh, you could you could lift it out and say it's not an official part of the films. But you could do the same with New Nightmare. Mm, yeah, that's also true. And you could definitely do the same with uh, the remake. So <laughs> you haven't watched that yet, have you? No, that's straight after this. <sighs> yeah, bland, bland. <laughs> I mean, bland. Frankly, after Freddy versus Jason, I'm I'm up for a bit of bland. Ah, uh, at least there was some creativity in Freddy Jason. Mm. That's God. all I'm going to say. Although Not even I, creative. I didn't say it was good. I said there was some. I didn't say it was good creativity. I'm just I'm just trying to think of how bad this thing can get. You've uh, you've given me a lot to think about. I will say it does deliver one very scary thought. Oh, don't tell me. Don't tell me. We've got to hold on to that one thing. Okay. um, Are everyone ready? I am. Okay, right. Let's just launch straight into it. A Nightmare on Elm Street, part two. Freddy's dead. The final nightmare. Never call your film the final anything, because it never is. Yeah, wasn't Jason the final fr- Friday, like, the fourth one? It's either the third or fourth, yeah. Yeah, and now it's... That it, ran on it's to the fourth, the fifth one's the one with Roy. And then that that's currently at 11, and the, it'll, it'll be back. Yeah. I mean, arguably... It is the final of, of, a, of a chronology if you don't count Freddy versus Jason and you don't count like what happens in New Nightmare as any kind of canon for the actual Elm Street series. Yeah. Um, so technically it is kind of final. Uh, this got 20% on Rotten Tomatoes, so I was looking at this and going, this is going to be the worst of them. Because uh, 33 was the last one, then 56, then 74, then 42, then 94 for the first one ever. So I was thinking, this is just like the, the, the worst law of diminishing returns. Made in 1991, cost 11 million, and it made 34. So it made more than the fifth one, which made 22, and it cost a bit more than the uh, fifth one. And it's directed by Rachel Talele, who did Tank Girl. Which I love. Yeah. Um. Sharon and I fucking love this one. <laughs> this film knows I've been exactly, keeping that secret. <laughs> to be fair, this film knows exactly what it's doing and has fun. It's bonkers. Yes. From and the it, word go. It, it, yes. And it plays at, well, I don't know if you, you can either say it homages or it steals from like a lot of things, but it does it so well. Mm. And okay, seeing as you love this one, I'm assuming that Freddy's quips weren't getting too annoying in this one then. No, I mean, basically, because of the tone of it, Freddy's quips fit. I was going to say, they work in this in a way that they don't when things are Serious. sleazier Serious, and yeah. less um, Semi-serious. completely mad. Or uh, the quips don't work when things get really quite threatening. Yeah, mm. yeah. When from, it gets for us, really nasty. Um, but, yeah, no, this, this uh, it starts off with a Nietzsche quote. I mean, before... 
what other quotes are there in this? There's like a Poe quote. Most in one of, of them. them are like from Freddy, but yeah, there's there's one which one is, of them uh, says like it's like a Nietzsche quote, and then it's followed by "Welcome to prime time, bitch, Freddy Krueger." Mm. Like I said, this film knows what it's doing and it embraces itself wholeheartedly. I'm sure we've mentioned that we really love Tank Girl. We love that. I frankly wish Rachel Talele had done many more films in in her time. She's currently working. She's done a lot of TV. uh, And um, her formula is only going to appeal to a certain type of person. But it's very refreshing after two and a bit films of absolute dross to get something that's really just mental just just crazy just screwball and um when the violence does occur it's creative quite yes often. there's a lot of again this is well, i'm sure we'll mention this when we get to 2010s there's actually imagination used here yeah and it works like carlos what does the map say the map says we're fucked <laughs> the map literally says you're fucked you're fucked um, so yeah, the, the 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 main two in this would probably be Maggie and Tracy. Um, so uh, the, to, to describe it to people who haven't seen it, which will be most people, um, it it sudden jumps into sci-fi. It shows on like a computer map, and when I say map, I mean like a, a an outline on a, an old CRT screen done in that lovely green shade. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's got like a map of America, and it goes. You know, the the, the computer readout says this is Springwood. You know, it's like, there's like something like ten years in the future, and yeah. it was made in '91, which suggests that this is set in 2001 with very early '90s fashions for some reason. Um, and also, the, the the year made Sharon and I think that the the main guy who we start off with is actually the grown up son of um, Alice from uh, the uh, first from, from the fifth one. Uh, but of course, he's not, and the uh, age still doesn't match up. But uh, it, it would have been an idea, and I think maybe in an early draft that was the uh, that was the plan, like you know s- that he would be a, a connected with Freddy in some way, seed of Freddy. But instead, he's actually kind of a conduit. Um, so he's on a plane, and he's trying to get out of uh, uh, Springdale, uh, but Freddy won't let him leave. So I think he's actually like. I don't know where he was actually, but he's actually dreaming he's on a plane. And he drops the fuck out of the plane, like, through its floor. And it's a dream. And he lands on the road. And then he, he, get, he gets out of uh, Springdale because Freddy wants him to go Spring off. Springwood. Springwood. Um, Freddy wants him to, to go off and find new victims because Freddy has killed all the teenagers. Not all the teenagers. He's killed all the children as well. There is none left. Jesus, there's a horrible thought. There's no one left apart from adults. And we'll Who come back to traumatized. that. We'll come back to that later. But basically, it took te- Freddy ten years, but he killed everyone in Springdale below a certain age. And you'd think at this point there'd be a massive FBI investigation, and the entire, um, like, the county would be cordoned off. But I apparently think not. This- it doesn't show up on maps or like you know things go astray conveniently. They don't discuss this at all, but I think um, it's it's got to at some point be um, complied with by the adults in the sense that if there are literally no children left in this town, then what that basically means is that at some point they went, you know what, we're going to stop having kids. Maybe. Leave! If it's got to that stage, leave! And for, <laughs> and for those of you saying it's a horror movie, they never call the authorities, Jason goes to hell. Starts with the FBI blowing Jason up. So Good for them. Does Jason get five stars on GTA? 
<laughs> he must do, yes. And unfortunately, they turn up, blow him up, and then we get into the weirdness of Nine, which is basically Jason isn't Jason for most of the film. I did, I, in all seriousness, the uh, the the idea of Jason, like, stop burying him because he's just going to come back to life. Stop putting the words Jason Voorhees on the gravestone. Because some idiot's going to come and dig him up. On purpose. We Hate Movies said this. Stop putting his name on there. Uh, and just cut him into little pieces and bury those pieces far and wide. You know, burn them out with lye. You know, burn them into ash. Scatter them. Just make sure that there's no bits of Jason left. And, of course, then he'd reform from ectoplasm or something, or he'd possess someone. There'd, there'd be a way. But it always seems like they bury the body and hope for the best. You can't right. die till the grocers go down. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the grocers went down after Freddy versus Jason. And the fire, uh, Jason goes to hell, probably. Um, one thing that we noticed when we were watching, I think it was the third one with... Um, uh, what's her name? Kirsten? Yes. Screamy. Yeah. 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 I want to say Olivia Fant... Mary Pants. It was uh, Patricia Arquette. Patricia Arquette. Mm. Patricia Arquette gets half swallowed by a Freddy snake, and he's in full Beetlejuice mode at this stage. Hey, sandworms, you hate him, right? I hate him as well. There's there's odd connections between Beetlejuice and Freddy. There's an idea for a comedy skit somewhere that should be Freddy, Beetlejuice, possibly Chucky, playing cards or something. I Just because those three cracking wires at each other would be stupidly hilarious. It would be, but Beetlejuice is relatively gentle in comparison to the other two, who just kill and kill and kill again. And frankly, a bigger killer and quipper would be uh, Roger Moore's Bond. He just kills people and makes a joke about it. Yeah, the turtle is hungry. Yeah, <laughs> the turtle makes quips. Um, Anyway, so uh, this is the Twilight Zone reference again with the, with the plane, and then it trips straight into the ridiculous. Um, and the, the music is by Brian May. No, not that one. The other Brian May who did the music for Mad Max. So we're doing, like, uh, he did Mad Max 1 and 2, so we've done three Brian May films this year because we also covered Mad Max 1 and 2. Um, and there's like this is the one with Night on Bald Mountain in it. You see, now now we've done this, I have to mention the weirdness of two of the other films that included Dokken. Dokken? Dokken. I can never pronounce it right. Dokken, who did the Dream Warriors. Okay. Which, in the music video, features Freddy and... I think he wakes up... He wakes up after the music video goes, Oh, what a nightmare. And then I think there was... I want to say it was the Fat Boys for one of them. There was the Fat Boys. Uh, uh, maybe that was five. I th- it yeah. certainly finishes on a uh, the kind of like one of them finishes on the hip hop of the kind that um, Donald Glover said. Well, I went to the hat store today and I got myself a hat. Ha ha ha! It's before hip hop had really so- started ascending to a proper um, lyrical sense. Lyrical, yeah. In 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 the to its more modern incarnation, it was that kind of early nineties. Um, kind of like uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air type rap before the Fresh Prince came along and made it fun. I don't know. Anyway. Um, so there's a bit where someone goes through a window. It's been now so long since I saw it. It's only been like a week, but it, it feels like it's been a long time ago. He goes through a window or a wall and leaves a cartoon body hold. You know, like um, yep. when Bugs Bunny goes through a wall? 
Yeah. I was like, we're seriously yep. in different territory. Oh, no, no, no. We go full Looney Tunes in this, yeah. including the, the, the bed of nails. Yeah. Yes. There's definitely like a wily Coyote element to it. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 unfortunately, Carlos death scene where he, he the, the faces and noises he pulls when he pulls the blackboard and goes, ooh. Yeah, uh, wait for that one because I'll I'll describe that because it's uh, it's one of the best moments. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a cartoon suddenly. It very much is a cartoon. Uh, they're referencing the bus from uh, two again, and j- there was Tiger Electronics in this. Do you remember the little LCD games? Mm-hmm. Uh, Brecken Meyer, the guy from Clueless and Robot Chicken, and what else has Brecken Meyer been in? Go. Uh, is one of the guys and has ridiculous hair. I've only seen this kind of hair on like two other people. One is Jim Hawkins in Treasure Planet. It's kind of like curtains and like no hair on the sides and a ponytail at the back. And the other one is the kid who like has a rich mum when Bart steals Bone Storm and he insists, you know, get two. I'm not sharing with Caitlin. He has terrible hair like that. <clears throat> it was exclusively early 90s that people wore hair like that. And then, so yeah, we're introduced to Brecken Meyer and like, Spence. okay, what well, to explain this a bit more, this troubled kid falls out of the sky and then wanders off to the state outside of where Springdale or Springwood is. Springwood, Springwood. Uh, which is meant to be in Ohio, I think. Ohio, yeah. And uh, goes to a, like a, a home for troubled teens and he doesn't want to go to sleep, so he's like chanting 99 bowls of beer on the wall while he's um, staying awake. And kind of like we get to meet some of these other troubled teens and we stick with them because we're going to be with them for the rest of the movie. They, they, they end up hitching a ride back to Elm Street uh, when a social worker tries to reunite this you know, lost kid with his parents. Um, fails. So you get this punchy girl called uh was that tracy tracy yeah uh and uh, there's a deaf guy carlos and i was like there was a really good bit where like she steals his hearing aid and you can't hear anything basically it's uh you you get like what's going on on screen he's like and eventually she gives it back to him and then suddenly you can hear again it's a really nice way of showing when you can't hear that means he can't hear and would not have expected that from a nightmare on elm street movie um, and yeah, they've got they've got character to them. So already you're introduced to kids you don't want to see die. Yeah, they are very likable. They're meant mm. to be troubled, but you still like them, and you sort of a lot of the time understand where they're coming from. You, you it's like revealed through the course. Like Carlos had an abusive mother. Uh, Tracy had a very abusive father. I'm kind of not okay. Spencer didn't seem to get the hardest one on that one, but still, you still like them for who they are. They have nice, warm. They're warm personalities. Yeah, what you like them. What occupation is Maggie, the... Uh, she's the... Social worker or cop? She's social worker, I think. She isn't a oh. cop. Yeah, she's, she might have a foot in each camp. She might be like a probation worker or something mm. like that. Either way, she's familiar with and works with these kids. And uh, the, uh, she's the one who kind of sticks her nose, her adult nose into these, this business and goes, right, I'm going to take this one kid. What's his name? Back to... Uh, well, they're calling him John Doe. John yeah. Doe. Let's take John Doe back to uh, Elm Street. And he's like, no, Freddy's there. And, you know, he's obviously afraid of falling asleep. And then we meet Yafat Koto. So that's what, the third movie we've done of Yafat Koto? Because we did Live and Let Die and we did Alien as well. So yeah, Parker from Alien turns up as a psychologist. And all around good guy and 
slightly more knowledgeable than he has the right to be about dreams and stuff, but still. But, I mean, at least someone's paying attention. What was refreshing about this is that people paid attention to the kids. They weren't just going la-la-la-la-la-la-la the whole time. Yes, there was there's no such thing. It, but um, there was less of the whole super denial that the parents went through. Mm. There's a bit where John Doe has a dream and he's going through his mind and then it's like a, a lunatic asylum and he finds himself in a straitjacket and himself in the straitjacket shouts at him. There's a direct quote. Free me, you idiot. I'm your fucking memory. Which is yeah. quite heavy-handed in terms of uh, symbolism. Metaphor, yeah, I would say so. <laughs> but I this think... film's heavy-handedness is not one of its weaknesses. No, it... but then that's one of the things that Rachel Talele does really, really well. She takes something that you can do one of two ways. You can either hint at it and miss the mark, mm-hmm. or you can go completely and utterly over the top and make people laugh at the fact that you've gone completely and utterly over the top. And she does that incredibly well. Tank Girl is like so many glorious. moments of that. Tank Girl is glorious for that. It's a, it has a musical number in it. <laughs> it's awesome. I love it. So... um they go back to Springwood and all the adults are loopy and you get these two specifically like come up to the kids and like there's this, this crazy big woman like going, oh, you're so cute. Cheeks you could just pinch. And then her husband says, ah, oh, come away now, dear. And um, it's Roseanne Barr and her real life husband, Tom Arnold, for no reason. And they're basically all the parents have gone mad without their kids. And it's kind of like it's become... This it's become crazy town, and El, you know Springwood is is a shadow of its former self, and it exists in that weird cartoonish world where you, like you only show a bit of it, and you're like, right, that's all of it. But it's the comedy version of Children of Men, isn't it? Or yeah. Children of the Corn, but the other way round. Yes, yeah, also that. Yeah. Um, I was going to say one of the things that I liked about Yafet Koto actually was that um, yes, he did seem to know an awful lot about what was going on, but it was never in a um, I've been given mystical knowledge by some uh, you know shaman, yeah, or dream lady from the other side or anything like that. It it oh, just child, seemed I like can tell you all about it. dreams. <laughs> it just it. seemed like he was a, a particularly well trained um, psychotherapist. Um, with particular understanding of um, like the the scientific process of sleeping, and he was way overqualified to be in this particular job. Yeah. But it didn't seem like he shouldn't have that knowledge. Does that make sense? Yes, it, his knowledge comes it comes from education. More yeah, than, like you say, just randomly finding the mystic man or the mystic woman that absolutely. That the but also his uh, the way his character was developed, he was. He was honest with them. He was upfront and honest at most events where a choice to be honest could be made. He does not do what adults usually do in Nightmare on Elm Street films, which is deny, 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 deny. Sorry about that. Uh, Neil, can you explain to me what is the significance of the house on Elm Street? Because it's it's so prevalent the whole time. And we were trying to work it out because obviously Freddie's glove in the first one was located in the basement. This is the house that Nancy lives in in the first one, and then Jesse lives in in the second one, and it gets like built as a model in the third one, and then like the the, the model lights up at the end, and it features I think in the fourth one, and in in the fifth one, and the sixth one, you <laughs> and the why? sixth one. Why? Do you know whose house it is? Wes Craven's? No, no. In story, whose in, house is it? Uh, well, okay, it wasn't Freddy's, was it? It was. Oh, right. Which oh. is makes no goddamn sense when you. Why would Nancy's family move into it? 
I think it comes later on in the series that that is Freddy's house. I think it's this one that says it's Freddy's what? house. So they, they killed Freddy and then they moved into his house. Mm. Huh? <laughs> Precisely. That brings their motives suddenly into question. Fred Krueger left behind a legacy of pain and a spacious three-bedroom house on Elm Street. <laughs> the house does have significance. I think it is meant to be Krueger's house, but like you said, I think it's done later on. But it's one of those things they put in, and then when you think about it, no, that makes no freaking sense, because why is Nancy living in that house in the first one? Yeah. It's not like... That's what I'm assuming it is. I I didn't watch this one so recently, so I'm not going off you guys. So... Um, it's kind of like um, the house in Halloween as well. Usually some plonker moves into the Myers old house. Do estate agents not mention that a murderer once lived here? <laughs> Think about it, Neil. Why on earth would estate agents mention that? Oh, evidently seeing... doesn't stop people buying them. Oh, you're seeing the murderer house today. The murder yeah. house? No, the murderer house. Point of he didn't objection. kill anyone in it. They are seri- in real life. They are serial killer fans, which freaks me out on a whole other level. Who so, seek out their houses? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah and memorabilia. Yeah. So, what's the significance of that tricycle as well? Because the, the little blonde girl with the tricycle keeps turning up throughout it, the, the series over and over again. Retconned again, I believe that is meant to be Maggie. Uh, Maggie. Oh bollocks! Okay, right. Also, let's face it: red tricycles are creepy. Well, that's good enough as a reason. <laughs> to be fair, you can thank one of the few things you can thank Mr. Kubrick for. Yeah. I suppose it's like, well, we, we, you showed it in the first one, it was creepy. Let's show it in the second one. Was there any reason? Doesn't matter, it's creepy. Was it Kubrick or was it Donna who used it first? I, I don't know. Was Donna the one for The Omen? Yeah. Well, I haven't seen The Omen, so uh, The Omen was before The Shining, I know that. I think it was blue in The Omen, so. Right, okay. I know it from The Shining, so I'm assuming it's from that. So, yeah, terrible parents again, and um, they go back to Freddy's house, and it's an absolute dump, and they start looking around the place for whatever reason, and then all the kids eventually fall asleep, and and Freddy meets them in their dreams. And rather than just meeting Carlos and killing him, um, Freddy knocks his hearing aid off his uh, ear and then torments him. But he torments... It's really well managed, because basically he could have just, like... Like, for a start, he runs up behind Carlos so we could see him, and he's going, and like shouting behind him, but of course you can't hear it, and Carlos is walking along, and he's pretty much looking at the camera like Bugs Bunny at this stage. Yes, As in a get a lot of this guy thing. It is. He becomes... Okay, I don't mean the Avengers when I say this. He becomes Loki. Loki, yeah, no, more like the mask. Yes. Yeah. The comic um, mask who's very different from the film again and the reason it was weirdly um it was very well balanced is because you never lose sympathy for carlos and you never stop rooting for carlos and you never um like laugh directly at him because he's death Mm. um it's it's more a case of this is a weakness that uh um freddy is exploiting for his own laughs and that Rather than just stabbing him, he gets a, a chalkboard. I mean, first off, he um, 
like he drips water on the ground and it makes a really loud noise and suddenly Carlos has much better hearing. Yeah, he has a demonic hearing aid. drops a single pin from a very, very high height and Carlos has to catch it because otherwise you'll hear a pin drop. Eh? And then he drops loads of pins and they make a big loud noise and then he scratches his nails down a chalkboard. Now this is way more inventive than the stuff we've actually seen Freddy doing, just in terms of setup. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's, it's you know much it, more like Looney Tunes, as I say. It really reminded me of the scene in Beowulf where um, Grendel has his eardrum exposed and yeah, so all the yeah. noise is an absolute torment for him. Yeah. Um, and then, unfortunately, well, how does he end up... Oh, no, that was it. He he makes a terrible enough noise, I think, with the scraping that Carlos's head, as he's screaming in pain, literally explodes. And again, it's cartoonish, so it's it's just enough. Like It's not like lingering, sadistic violence. It's just kind of a, a, a crazy it's, death. It's so that you don't feel, violence. oh, God, poor Carlos. And then are completely thrown out of the rest of the movie. You just think... Well, that's this probably wasn't the best place to come, Carlos. And uh, nice hearing from you, Carlos. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, that it was inventive, and um, then Johnny fucking Depp turned <laughs> on the telly while Breckenmeyer is tripping balls on a cigarette. If no, you he's look tripping. At what, no, what he's he smoking is it's got a filter on it. All right, yes, it is a cigarette. It's meant to be marijuana, which doesn't make you trip, which is weird. But hey. It, not in the same way, anyway. It's not also, like psilocybin mushrooms or LSD. And, and, of course, I will say this. My second favourite cameo of this film... Is Johnny Depp. Yes, because yeah. it's hilarious, because he turns up and does the... This is your this brain. Is, this is your brain on drugs. This is your brain cracks it into the egg. And then Freddy turns up, whacks him in the face with the frying pan so that the eggs are on his face. And he goes... Nice. He says it looks more like fried eggs to me. And it's just... Hey, Spencer, let's trip out. And it does this very groovy... Groovers in your heart style... Lava lamp pulling him into the television. Yeah, or tripping with the Bradys in the Brady Bunch, or um, uh, what else was there? I want to say Stay Tuned. Did you ever I've, see that? I've seen it, but not in years. So the, this is your brain thing is very specifically dated to early nineties America. So that's uh, hopefully a reference that will become less and less um, memorable as years go by, and that kind of stupid advertising doesn't uh, you know stick in the mind. Um, and so yeah, Brecken Meyer ends up inside a video game and, <laughs> yes. and uh, like it, it, he's bouncing along and it's basically like, it's when the Simpsons recreated video games. So it's that kind of era. Yeah. And it's Freddy's, very Nez. Yeah. Freddie's playing him. It's very Nez. Well, um, yeah, it's because of the joke that comes up. With the and he says, I'm now I'm playing with power. And then, uh, the, the, the Tracy, and is it John Turnup managed to pull the controller off of Freddie mm. and he slows him he's somehow the back off and he goes, uh, 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 you forgot, you forgot to take away the power, power glove. It's so bad. And, See, uh, that's how bad the power glove was. Freddie uses it. Exactly. I mean, basically, if you, it's, it's, if you want any further proof that it was provided by the forces of darkness, it's the power glove. And so Breckenmeyer goes boinging along. I don't know if he's actually being directly controlled by Freddie, but now he's in the real world, bouncing along. I, again, I had like boing, a, boing, boing, boing. what are we watching moment at this stage? It just didn't seem like a, a Nightmare on Elm Street film at all, which I'm assuming pissed off a lot of Nightmare on Elm Street fans at the time. No, they like delight- Oh, they like this one. There's okay. a lot of the fans that I know, that hardcore fans, we like this one. Because, well, the again, hated it. Again, this took the concept and you know went, all right, we're going to be that over the top. That we're fun. Yeah. 
And uh, again, that they confuse sleep and unconsciousness. It's not the same thing. You don't dream in the same way. Um, but that's like a, a hallmark across the series. So we'll forgive it again. And um, at one point, uh, John Doe falls out of his airplane again, and he's falling down with his parachute. And Freddie starts to <laughs> slash away at the parachute c- uh, cables. And he's like, "No, no, no! You need me to live." And he's like, "Nope! I just needed you to bring her to me." And it's, it's kind of like he slashes the uh, parachute and pretty much looks at the camera. He doesn't say it, but he could have said, "Ain't I a stinker?" Because <laughs> yeah. then he's at the bottom moving with his back a bed of nails to to maneuver to the middle of the road so that John Doe falls directly on it. And again, John Doe's uh, 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 death is uh, a little bit too traumatic because basically he like you know erupts with blood in real life. Um, but uh, the the scenario beforehand is ext- extremely well crafted and I was very much um, quick thing to mention where it is also in this one we're doing the thing where something is happening in the dream is also happening in the real world like mm-hmm. the Spencer we actually see him bouncing around and putting his fist to the walls in in the real world while yeah. he's doing stuff in the dream world so again this happens in this death as well because they're trying to escape Springfield in the back of the van so when yeah. John Doe pulls the parachute cord he goes rocketing out the van yeah Oh god, it's mental. Um, and I, I, logic. I, I didn't see how Breckenmeyer died. I think I blinked and missed it, but I think he gets shut, thrown down a pit forever and loses he all his life. He literally falls into the the soul pit or hell or whatever. All right. So anyway, this has all been a giant MacGuffin to get the daughter of Freddy Krueger back to Elm Street and get her to remember who she is. She's, uh, the, it's Maggie, the social worker slash cop, who keeps having flashbacks of like being very, very young and her father killing her mother and then going into his basement and finding all of his horrible knife hand gloves. And uh, so, yeah, he's uh, Robert Englund playing this uh, young lady's uh, father. And... Um, yeah, the the idea being that he he wants her to. What does he want her to do? He needs he needs her to come back so he can escape Springwood. He can gotcha. move on then, because every town's got an Elm Street. So he I think he basically like jumps inside her, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's also like we were really not looking forward to seeing what happened when Tracy had her dream because uh, it's it's definitely implied early on that she was a victim of domestic abuse and i thought there is there are two ways they can handle this there is the like restrained way where you are acknowledging that this is a serious situation and i'm not entirely sure they're going to go there because they didn't exactly do that with the deaf thing although it was still better handled than anything else and pretty inventive or they can go balls out and completely screw it up and indicate to the world they are not qualified to talk about domestic abuse fortunately it was leaning far toward more towards the former mm. so uh she doesn't get killed horribly and sadistically she beats him to death in the form of her abusive father with a giant kettle and um, not just with a regular sized kettle and uh that was satisfying and i said to sharon if the, if she dies at the end in a sadistic manner this film is losing many stars yeah it the the way that was handled though it's not as if they didn't imply that this was a really horrible situation and yeah. well, it was extremely serious but there was just something about the way it was portrayed <laughs> that they were able to hint at the um the underlying details of the situation mm. without really going into the incredibly uh, detailed nitty-gritty of exactly what happens and exactly yeah. how this had fucked her up 
Freddie was absolutely. Which is a prime example of what I'm going to be talking about very shortly. Freddie was absolutely trying to torment her with it, but he did not expect her to be able to strike back with incredible ferocity, and and so it's it's satisfying to see her to do exactly that, Indeed. even though clearly it hurts her. Um, then we get basically uh, just to cut it short, uh, Maggie. Um, decides to take Freddy on, and this entails Freddy Vision. This was, I believe, the only one with Freddy Vision. Was this in 3D? And we're not talking modern 3D. We're talking anaglyph. Yeah, the, the, the old blue and red glasses jobbies. And she literally puts on 3D glasses at one point. That's the audience now to put Time to put them on, folks. That's exactly why it's there. Nice. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's basically like, it's kind of like a tool video. She goes through uh, this yeah. like sort of uh, big, sweeping, weird, hellish uh, plane of existence, meets Freddy, pulls him out much like uh, uh, Maggie does, pulls him out of the dream world. And then they have set up a whole bunch of weapons. This is uh, Yaffa, Koto, and uh, Tracy, who has survived. Um, and basically, it's they decided to kill Freddy. And then they pull him into the real world, and then they fuck him up. And which I is think, which, yeah, they chop off his hand and then his daughter stabs him with it, which is appropriate. Okay. One point I'd like to mention for this, and bear in this mind when we talk about a different one: mm-hmm. when he's in the real world, he is human. He is yeah. a person. He has no special powers or anything like that. He is a human, just being. a regular guy, and immortal at that. Yes, because they blow him up. <laughs> yeah, they like uh, they even they seed the pipe bomb early on. They go, hey, this kid was found with a pipe bomb. And they, but they don't go like, remember that for later, folks. So when it does happen, you're like, oh, there was a pipe bomb, hmm. kids. But they, they, they managed to get that just through in the in the right way. And 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 Freddy straight up dies at the end. And um, the uh, yeah, the three survivors, Maggie, Tracy, and Yaffa Koto, go, yeah, good, okay, he's dead. We can all wake up now. And it felt like the dawn after a long, long night. And it was a huge relief to actually see the series kind of end at that stage uh, with a bang, literally. Mm. And it was, uh, you know, di- like I say, deeply satisfying. And there was a strength to it. And it's it's a stupid, crazy, silly movie. But at the same time, its silliness is far stronger than it, the rather more serious four, where it was made by Rennie Harlan and it's an action movie. And yeah. they, he just like bungled that one and it's a lot more it's a lot more fun to watch if i was going yeah interestingly enough this is the one that started the trend of them killing the 80s horror icons for the record none of it stuck freddie came back jason came back pinhead came back yeah chucky came back yeah you can't they literally can't keep him down um what you said you said uh johnny depp was your second favorite cameo what's your first favorite so what you didn't mention is when she puts we go through freddy vision in the tool video Mm -hmm. we also get backstory on freddy explaining everything we meet fred in the classroom smashing smashing hamsters with a hammer and we meet mr underwood freddy's abusive father played by one of my personal heroes alice cooper Welcome to my nightmare, whoa, whoa. And, uh, yeah, it, he's uh, clearly Freddie had a horrible, abusive uh, childhood as well, and uh, was, but was crazed already and was, you know, sadistically smashing up the hamsters. Implication there that those kids teasing him in that class w- grew up to be the parents. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Sharon, you were going to say something there? Sorry. Yeah, I think I've worked out possibly one of the reasons why the end hero is usually female. Mm-hmm. Um 
one theme that has been relatively consistent, although it's peaks and troughs to the extent that they explore it, is that you defeat Freddy by uh, openness, honesty and knowledge. Um, and because he specifically relates to the emotional state, particularly fear, I think part of the reason why um, the final survivor has a tendency to be female is, and it's a, a bit sexist, um, but the, the female side being more in touch with those emotions is more able to acknowledge them, doesn't keep them concealed and covered up like the guys tend to, um, and therefore has more of a chance of emerging relatively unscathed on the other side. Yeah. In fact, off the top of my head, I don't think there's a single male hero killer. You know what I mean? The guy that defeats mm. Freddy. They do it for three films in the Friday series, but that's about it. That's entirely mm. different. Yeah, <laughs> entirely oh, it is, but different themes in that one. So true, but it's it's something that's common across most horror films, which is the final girl syndrome, which is now being parodied in a very interesting looking film called The Final Girl. Horror comedy. Have you seen? I think we mentioned this one to you before. Have you seen Your Next? Doesn't ring any bells. I don't think so. Superb final girl type horror film. I uh, won't spoil it, but it's the uh, it's the home invasion type horror, the strangers type, okay. and uh, it pans out in a very different way. And again, extremely satisfying to watch. Okay. Um, okay. So I mean, basically, that put the original nightmare films to bed, and it was like, right, well, that that will do for these ones, and uh, didn't make as anywhere near as much money as they probably wanted it to. Thirty four, not too bad, but uh, but that was basically it. And clearly, the critics were kind of tired of it. And I think they probably didn't appreciate the uh, the, the overabundance of humour. <sighs> okay, so how do you top that then? How what, do, where you do you go top next? That? Maybe could you maybe go meta? <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street Seven a subtitle, if you will. Uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, seventy-seven uh, percent freshness, so a huge jump up in uh, like the critics were like, we really like this. Uh, made in nineteen ninety-four, cost a mere eight million. Relative to eleven for the last one, eight for the other one, thirteen for the one before that, um, and it made a meagre nineteen relative to thirty-four for the final nightmare. So basically, fans were like, "We are not going to watch this." Not in the droves that they did in the previous uh, incarnation. This one was the first one directed by Wes Craven since the original, uh, and it takes place in the in air quotes real world. <laughs> where Heather Langenkamp, playing a fictionalised version of herself as an actress, uh, the original Nancy from the uh, original movie, um, uh, has a small child, played by the kid who played Gage in uh, the Pet Cemetery, and um, is growing increasingly concerned for his safety, as it seems like the, there is a monster trying to punch its way into the real world, which seems to t- take a lot of its cues from Freddy Krueger. Now, Neil... You're a major fan of this one. So explain why it's so good. Because oh, I, I swear one of these films that really appears to me, it, the way the sort of the easy breakdown of this premise is, there's a, a demon, a monster, that is forever trying to break into our world, and he's trapped by stories. It's the power of stories. Yeah, uh, Wes Craven explains himself during the middle of the film that uh, he, almost an impassioned speech. He says, you know, there was a... These demons, we can uh, we can keep them trapped and uh, and keep them safe and keep them, uh, I suppose, measurable. Uh, mm. 
by writing stories about them and, and sort of uh, naming them in that regard. But then as soon as the story's finished, they are killed or people move on, then they're free again, which is one way of looking at it. Carry on, Neil. And this demon has attached itself to the Freddy story. Yeah. And he's now trying to get his way into our world. Mm-hmm. And he's using sort of Dylan... Is it Dylan? It is Dylan, I think. Uh, Dylan as a conduit. Hey, Devon! As a conduit to come into the real world. And this is not the Freddy we know and love. If you're the fans, anyway. We get to see him once, which is on a talk show, which is so surreal. Yeah. Especially when he's high-fiving people. Yeah. But the the actual villain, the the... I don't know what else to call him, but Freddy, the other Freddy. Uh, should we call him... Dark Freddy. Real Freddy? The Dark Freddy is is literally that much darker, different glove, not quippy, but meaner and nastier. I, I, I just love this sort of almost Lovecraftian idea that goes on in this film of this, this external horror trying to come through to our world, being trapped and getting trapped by stories and stuff. Mm-hmm. It, I, I genuinely enjoy it. And I think, shockingly, this is the film with the most body counts as well. It is. There's uh, there's not so many kills. And most of the tension seems to come from uh, Heather, well, Heather, uh, trying to convince people that Freddy or a monster like Freddy is trying to prey upon her. And it's again, it's infestation. It's kind of possession as well because her son is prey to his influence. Mm-hmm. And, and then, uh, so yeah, infestation, oppression, most definitely, followed by possession. And as opposed to that end, it actually shares themes with two. Yeah. In that Freddy is trying to break his way into the real world and using um, humans as a conduit, like like poor Jesse. <sighs> um, Sharon, what did you think of this one? This is a tricky one for me because there are elements of it that I really like. Um, like Neil was saying, the idea that... Uh, the monsters and fears and, and these existential concerns can be trapped and crystallized by stories and that gives us a way to tackle them it's one of the most thought-provoking definitely yeah absolutely um and i liked the exploration of um heather being considered alternately utterly mad incompetent and bordering on monstrous herself by various members of the real world that she comes into contact with. Um, But I did think it was... They over-egged the whole, this is all real, guys, and the, the getting the actual producers to come in and play themselves when they can't act for Toffee. Especially Bob Um, Shay. Oh, God, no, it's Frankly, Wes Craven... Yeah, it's, but Wes Craven, you could see it's like you know he he cares about this material. And Absolutely, he's, at he's, least there uh, was yeah. the yeah there was the passion there. Um, but it just kind of it, for me this one it was delivery that really let it down. It was the the presentation, the way it was put forward, the fact that it seemed more than a little smug at times, mm-hmm. um, and there were elements of nod nod wink wink that kind of got developed in Scream much better. Yeah. You can see where Scream came from when he wrote this. Yes. You can see where absolutely. some of the ideas came from. Yeah. But the fact that it phone, it kind of centres around a killer that phones you all the time. Mm. 
This was described as a vanity project, not just for uh, uh, Wes Craven or congratulatory project, um, but uh, it, for, for New Line as well, by We Hate Movies. It cannot be underestimated how much the Nightmare series put New Line on the map. They basically pretty much they, they broke through with the original Nightmare on Elm Street, and they made a big chunk of change with every consecutive sequel to that. And it's possible no other studio would have given... Uh, Peter Jackson and Weta, the, the uh, right amount of money, the right amount of uh, clearance and freedom, and the right amount of them not meddling with the actual making of the movies quite as much as every other studio would have done, mm. aside from the fact that New Line had been getting large chunks of cash on horror franchises for the, uh, for the uh, 80s and 90s. And they wanted to put themselves on the map as a major studio along the lines of Fox and Columbia. So this in 1994 was, uh, again, described by We Hate Movies as like Wes Craven attempting to do Scream where you um, sort of acknowledge horror tropes in the real world, uh, you know, set in a fictionalized movie version of the real world, um, at, you know, whilst actual horror stuff is going on. And then a few years later, he did it in a more successful way. It's difficult to say why I didn't love this film, but you had been talking it up so much, Neil. <laughs> and coming to it straight after six, we were like, okay, that was crazy. So this one uh, can be like really good and thought-provoking. But it, it, in the end, it just it ended up really frustrating as how people were so judgmental of... Um, uh, I want to call her Nancy. Heather. Mm-hmm. Over and over again. She's asking for help. That woman who works in the sleep clinic basically had like government clearance to do anything she wanted she's like oh i can detain you without uh, reason and i could detain your son i could take your son away from you i could do this that and the other and basically you can't say boo to it i think you're off your trolley and um yeah it's uh, it's it, it ends in a satisfying way uh, but one of the original endings was going to be no it, it basically like her it, okay right what bothered me was her husband dies. Her real-life husband in this film dies in a uh, uh, car crash orchestrated by Freddie. And everyone's... like No one really acknowledges that what Nancy's going through is clearly uh, grieving. They just say, well, you're very upset right now. Let's just carry on with our lives. No one's thinking... No, no one's saying out loud, this must have absolutely you know, destroyed her and that she must be incredibly vulnerable right now. Everyone's just going, look, it's not Freddy. You're crazy. Look after your kid. And they're very unsympathetic. And that happens over and over again throughout the series. But the fact that it's supposed to be in the real world and it's just as unsympathetic is kind of, it's annoying to watch because this was your time to have her actually get people who believed her and have her actually get, you know, like people going, well, this is interesting. Uh, you know, or indeed terrifying, but instead it's the usual isolation and it's, it, it basically plays out much like a nightmare on Elm street would uh, only with a Freddy who's much closer to uh, Craven's original vision. And the, the, it ends up basically, he takes her son away to like a Grecian temple and a cheap one of that. And she runs around the place and the kid basically like throws Freddy in an oven because it it's ends like Hansel and Gretel. Gretel, yeah, which is neat. And uh, one of the original endings was going to be that Robert Englund somehow gets into the uh, this dream, and actually Robert Englund jumps in there and holds the horrible monster, so that basically uh, he sacrifices himself to to save um, 
Heather. But instead he just goes, we're going out of town now. Or we won't ever be back in this movie. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's it's not it's not depressing or disappointing. It's uh, um, it may have bigged this up too much. Yeah, I think uh, I was expecting more, considering that you were like, "Oh, you're gonna love seven. Oh, you're gonna love New Nightmare so much." But and it, um, it's not bad at all. It's uh, it's just uh, it's not bad at all. It's bad, but, <laughs> but it's there not terrible. There are elements of it that are. Uh, it's definitely good. watchable, and I... it's 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 a it's a definite fun and different uh, installment in the series. I think what didn't help it there, actually, with the whole plot line of of her grieving and having to deal with this child who clearly has strange things going on with him, is it made me think of the Babadook, which is awesome, which meant I was constantly mentally comparing it to this thing that he couldn't possibly hope to come close to. It does have some great subtle bits, like when he's talking about uh, his dinosaur is the one protecting him, and he keeps the dinosaur under the bed, and the dinosaur's got, like, slash marks in it. It's like a soft toy, and there's stuffing coming out. I don't know if you guys have seen it. There's a a short film, a viral video going around, that is sort of an expansion of that concept of, while children sleep at night, Mm -hmm. teddy bears keep monsters at bay by fighting them. And I love that idea. That's cool. What's it called? I can't remember. I will find out for that me. That rings a bell. And isn't, isn't the hint that basically this is the reason why the, the most beloved toys are the most battered? Because they're the yes. ones that protect you the that's most. That's the one. Oh, that's so cool. Find that one out, Neil, by the end of the podcast. Thank you. Um, let's see. Anything else that's not worthy about this film? Let me just go back to the notes. Hold on. Um, there's three responses you can get from an audience. Uh, like we mentioned before, the whole the dread and then the jump scares and then the gross outs. You can get silence, which is what happens when there's dread. You can get screams and then laughter with the jump scares. Or you can just get uh, and laughter with the gore. Hmm. Uh, and occasionally, if you go too gory, you go all the way back round to silence again. Um but ultimately, most of the time, movie studios don't want their audiences walking out silent. They don't want them mortified and stuck in their seats and going, this film is really powerful and effective. I shall probably tell some people about it, but I don't even really want to think about it. That's when horror is too strong. Because they can't assess that. If you're silent and you're not reacting, they don't know whether it's because you hate it or because you're overwhelmingly um, mm. affected by it. Yeah. And also they, they broached the idea of Freddy being a figure of adoration when they, they have that audience like, dressed as Freddy and baying uh, it, it, you know, for blood and, and like they love him and he's, he's, a, he's a pop culture icon. I just wondered, because I've just watched one through six, how did this happen? You know, I, I, like, like, I can't really see how people would genuinely love Freddy Krueger. If you get to the meat of it, he's a child killer. But that's you know, forgotten. People don't remember him for what how it started, like I said, around about three, when he starts making those quips, yeah. he becomes the star of the film. It's like some, it's hard to pinpoint, but like, it's like in Friday and Hellraiser and all that. At some point, a turn happens. Yeah. It's like, it's like in wrestling where the heel is so good that you end up cheering the heel because he's so, I don't use good as in he's a good guy, but he's entertaining. Or the perf- or yeah, some- the performances. Yeah. No, the perform- I, I get that. Freddy goes from being a genuinely sinister and despicable person to just being a horrible buggered bunny, I suppose. Yes, yeah. He is that. Uh, if you, It's Tom and Jerry, I suppose, would be closer, or Wiley Coyote. But yeah, it's in that sense of that, that weird switch is flipped and all of a sudden they be, they're the star, not, not the kids. Yeah. And and these characters are kind of people love Robert Engel. This is like what Robert Engel is known for. Yeah. So it's it's one of those weird things. 
Um, also, this film has the worst coroner ever. Nancy goes to like identify the body of her husband who's been brutally killed in a car crash. And she wanders downstairs to the morticians and they're just sort of, like carving up bodies. And she wanders through the front door and then they're like, get, go over to the right. Now you can identify that your husband is like, well, no, that's not what happens. You get an escort. They take you to one room where the body has been arranged. They don't let you wander through a place that will traumatize regular people, especially those in the grip of sudden shock and grieving. Worst coroner ever. But they don't really make a big deal out of it. It's just like, you know, whoops. And also, again, with the uh, uh, the Creeping Dread, they could have so capitalized well on Creeping Dread throughout this series, but instead the music is overblown and melodramatic. The music goes... Like Les Miserables, uh, (laughs) rather than sort of the... And especially considering they're going for the quieter, meaner, more sadistic Freddy, it would have been better to match the tone there. They, yep, worst nurse ever, as I said there. And at the very end, basically, there's this cha-ching sound. Uh, it's, it's actually sh uh, If you pull out a throwing knife in GoldenEye, it makes the same sound, like And they've got a button on the sound deck, and they keep pressing it again and again and again and again. And Freddy's chasing after her, going And a sound editor, I can tell you right now, you spam a sound effect, it loses all of its menace. It loses all of its impact. Because people can basically hear it over and over again. It's, li- it's like showing a picture over and over again. Pe- like, subliminally, people are going, yep, seen it, or in this case, heard it. But it ends in a kind of satisfying Hansel and Gretel-y, fairy tale uh, kind of way. And um, Again, it's kind of a, a, an interesting, daring, uh, if somewhat self-congratulatory uh, story. Everyone's like, you know, all, the, all the, um, the the newspapers are like, Wes Craven is having nightmares again. And everyone's like chatting on the phone. Yep, that's that Wes having nightmares again. Jeez, him again. Like, you know, we we must have a new Freddy. You know, with the, you know people are not going to be happy enough with Freddy being dead. And at this point, I, I'm going to go ahead and say that, like, people were kind of a little bit tired of Freddy. The case... This made 19 million relative to the uh, 34 million. Objection. Objection. The biggest problem that most fans had with this, that it wasn't Freddy. It wasn't the Freddy that they knew. It wasn't the comedic. uh, It wasn't Freddy from six. This was new. This was more akin to Freddy from one. That's not that's not what people have become accustomed. Well, then people don't want Wes Craven's Freddy at all. No, because he wasn't the quipping one. But obviously, that, that was the name that was associated with Nightmare yeah. on Elm Street. It's always Wes Craven's and Nightmare on Elm Street. So, just be careful what you wish for. Exactly. Yeah, that's coming up in a bit. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I think I'm going to go ahead and say that I, I like best of all, Freddy, the, is, is Wes Craven's kind of um, uh, like nameless, mirthless boogeyman um, who lurks in the shadows. Second best is the, the, the crazy Bugs Bunny Freddy who's very creative from six, and then all other Freddies come afterwards. Yeah, all other Freddies either leaning leaning in one direction or another are not quite hitting the mark. So you either have like this one trying to be the boogeyman, but not mm. quite hitting it. And the, the quipping Freddy is not quite up to the, the nightmare books bunny of six. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that was that one. That was 1994. Some nine years later. Ten. Oh, you've been waiting for this after the teas. 
Yeah, tell me if you've been waiting for after after the tease. Uh, that's because uh, one year before this, um, you got he, Jason goes to hell. Jason went to hell, <laughs> and uh, Freddy uh, like reached up, grabbed his mask, sucked it back under, and it's like, yep, yeah, these guys are going to be uh, at each other's throats, literally. Uh, but uh, see, 1991 was Final Nightmare, so like 12 years since you actually saw Freddy, Freddy, Freddy. Um, we go back in with night, uh, Freddy versus Jason. A Nightmare on Friday the 13th was the yeah, title, which is nice. pretty terrible. That's terrible. Um, and, uh, Freddy vs. Jason, or for the record, isn't much better. FVJ. I mean, Freddy vs. Jason is self-explanatory, I suppose, because yeah. it is. Um, and, and this got 40% uh, uh, freshness. It cost $30 million and it made $114 million, relative to $19 million nine years ago now there's obviously inflation in there but that also suggests this is a rumble a lot of horror fans have been waiting for what you got there is the venn diagram of all the jason fans and all the freddy fans which often are pretty close to a circle but not entirely a complete circle all showing up all together now i noticed that um the remake into uh, 2010 seven years later had 115 million so that means everyone turned up again plus a million dollars more Inbuilt name recognition is a wonderful thing to studios and games companies. It is, especially uh, after a long period of absence. Then you suddenly get people going, oh, let's come back and see this thing. Directed by Ronnie Yu. And uh, I, I saw this at the cinema, and I remember quite liking it. And now I look back at myself, and I want to slap myself, because this film is a wretched piece of shit. And I hate it. I, I completely and utterly hate it. It's the worst. <sighs> I don't hate it, but it's not very good. Let me tell you why I hate it. Go on, then. Within the first few seconds, the first few seconds, you start with a crying little girl stuck in Freddy's basement, and she's like, what, six, seven, maybe? Like a, a real live little girl crying while he's sharpening his new glove and going, ha, 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 ha. And then it's immediately apparent he's going to murder, butcher this tiny little girl. And that is way too much, way too soon, way too horrible. Just so dark and horrible, unacceptably horrible, because your support's kind of like, this guy's the villain. Uh, if you're going to say one's the protagonist, one's the... I mean, they're both antagonists. That's the, like, they're both villains. They're both antagonists. But Jason is marginally more sympathetic. But Freddy's making jokes. Freddy's kind of supposed to be fun. So you're supposed to be Freddy with talks. this guy. It's an advantage. Freddy talks. He breaks the fourth wall, talks to the audience, goes, ah, ha, ha. He's making jokes. He's the, the pantomime villain. But you start off... And he's about to kill a tiny little girl. We've never seen that before. And it almost seemed to go, ah, you've never seen that before. Freddy kills little girls. I'm like, uh, We wow. want to see that. We don't not, I Wow. Shit. Fuck. Jesus. God. And, and like immediately I loathed the Freddy in this and the tone of this film and the writing of this film. It's filled with horrible moments like that. And I just detest their version of Freddy in this and what they get him to do and their version of Jason in this. I don't like any version of Jason really, but I really, I, oh, God. Too bad for that. 
No, I, 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 I sort of felt a bit sorry for Jason because, you know, it starts off with Freddy taking the form of his mother, shouting at him and then saying, go to Elm Street, remind the kids why they were scared of me in the first place. And I had to check, is this actually Robert Englund? Because it's so different in tone to what we make, you know, what we it saw in, in, in Final Nightmare. It's totally Robert Englund. Of course it is. And, and it's, is it the same guy, Tom, whatever his name is, who plays Jason? No, it's Ken Kurtziger. Uh, up right. until this one, it had been Kane Hodder. Kane you Hodder. can't miss Kane Hodder. He is the proverbial brick outhouse. Okay. Um, so, yeah, two seconds in, and we already hate Freddy. And we feel a little bit sorry for Jason as he's brought back. Um, and... The, we're introduced to a bunch of teenagers and we're already in we hate these teenagers mode what this film gets really wrong is it mixes together the 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 approach of friday the 13th where it's like look at these horrible stupid teenagers fuck these guys let's kill them shall we and it puts that in a, a nightmare on elm street setting where you're supposed to be with the teenagers up against freddy and that doesn't work fundamentally those are two opposing approaches and they don't fucking work no it doesn't there's a lot in this <laughs> film that doesn't work its tone is all over the place it's yeah it doesn't get the characters of freddy or jason right it does that weird creepy girl opening like you said you don't like any of the characters in this film little girl comes back with her eyes slashed out later on and she's like from to freddy's coming for you like we know we're aware that Freddy killed little girls. But it's to shove it in your face straight away in a film where you're actually kind of supposed to forget that, mm. kind of, and focus on the fact that they're killing odious teenagers so that you can get with it even vaguely on a mental state of enjoyment. You can't enjoy that. To the, for the beginning, they're like challenging you, now enjoy it. But I don't think they were even thinking that much about it. Not and it, it smacked of just really horrible writing the casting's horrible because the acting's terrible from mm. everybody although i did like uh, the girl who plays gib uh, was ginger in ginger snaps which is a great werewolf movie she was also in uh, insomnia okay um, yeah. kelly rollins in there because hey i do films now yeah, who's that one uh she she's the girl that dies when she gets no yeah, she she's the one that's taking the piss out of the size of Freddy's claws and Jason appears behind her and just bats. Do you mean the black girl best friend? I was trying not to say it. Yeah, no. Uh, I just sat there watching this trope through the movie going, when and how is she going to die? At the end and horribly is the answer to that one. No one dies nicely in this. Yeah, I mean, obviously no one dies, but she, yeah, really horribly dies. Um there are great laughable deaths in this. Usually guys, usually guys who aren't really expecting to suddenly die horribly. This guy lying on the bed who's been something of a dick, um, drinking a beer, then gets stabbed a lot by Jason, and then he folds the bed into crushing this guy back on himself. Conveniently uh, so making the authorities count. believe it was Freddy because he died in a bed. Yeah. God, that was convenient. Uh, and I think the, the, I started thinking that about the rules from Scream, which we're not going to mention in the Scream show. We, we, you know, it feels like Scream transcended that. There, there are certain rules that you uh, must follow to stay alive in a horror movie. You can never drink or do drugs. These kids are drinking and doing drugs. You can never have sex. Almost all of these kids are having sex. And you can never say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. And hey, I'm just going to get a beer. Do you want anything? I'll be right back. <laughs> So, yeah, we're totally in that territory. And, uh, again, with the fear of the name thing, Freddy is Voldemort. Like, you're just saying his name. Um, it's, it gives him power. So, again, I like that idea, and it's, it's like it. Um, 
And then they, these horrible teenagers start waterboarding. The kid who played Eli in The uh, Girl Next Door. I like this kid. I wish he'd been in more. What's his name? Chris Marquette. He's the geeky kid in this. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, so they're waterboarding him with beer. And then Jason turns up and starts butchering everybody. And Gib, uh, one of the girls, gets thrown into Freddy's boiler room. And we've seen this play out. And in real life, hmm, Jason's wandering around in this cornfield. She's fallen unconscious in after drinking lots of beer. But that's not enough. That's not enough of a threat to her. A a, a shifty male partygoer sees her prone form on the floor, decides he's going to get his rape on. And I thought, wow, it's... It's that kind of movie. So he starts basically molesting her. And then well, all the time, Freddy's basically prowling around and chasing her in this dream boiler room. And then she dies suddenly in the dream because Jason has thrust his, you know, penetrating machete through both the rapist and through her chest. Um, and so she basically Jason stole Freddy's kill and he gets really angry like a horrible, petulant child playing deathmatch. You stole my kill. And yeah, that basically set the tone for the film. That that's basically it. You can't kill these kids. I want to kill these kids. And you know, if maybe we could get some rape stuff in there, we can get that done too. And it was not fun to watch after that. I think basically it was kind of eh, fun enough to that stage, and then I was like, yeah, I really. And with the black female friend being dead meat, that's not diversity. That's profiling that's stereotyping that's a stereotypical thing you know i'm leaving the black guy don't live long in these films yeah what was that it was that scream 2 that's scream 2 yeah man with the most sense in the entire film (laughs) franchise friday 13th there's actually kind of a fun story i found out about while reading up on the recent friday the 13th uh hold on what the remake or the remake yeah okay hold on bear with me that is a just for a prime example of not liking a single goddamn person in that film. Yeah, understandable. Friday the 13th, 2009. The writers did not want to spend a lot... Of, by the way, these writers were the same writers as Freddy vs. Jason. Writers did not want to spend a lot of time covering Jason's childhood experiences, which they thought would remove the sense of mystery from the character. They tried to write scenes that would add verisimilitude. Somebody's got word-of-the-day toilet paper. <laughs> like the audience finding a deer carcass lying on the ground as the fellow they followed Jason through his underground tunnels. Fuller told the writers that uh, they would have to do without it, that being one of the producers, because it would cost $100,000. Because of budget constraints, certain character deaths in the ending of that. Why? Okay, one hundred thousand dollars for a deer carcass. You don't know how to do horror movies, sir. Honestly, that I mean, you just wander into any like hunting lodge type place and say, right, we need a deer carcass here tomorrow. Um, make sure that it's a deer you were going to shoot anyway. Make sure it doesn't suffer, uh, and then just bring the carcass. We will rent the carcass from you, and then you can go do with it as you wish. Uh, I will give somebody a hundred dollars for this. They're not allowed to do that. They're not allowed to do it because then you can't put at the end. Um, no animals were harmed during the making of this film. Yep. Things like that and health and safety and all sorts of crazy stuff. But basically, the short answer is they're not allowed to do that. That's why. See, Tobey of- Hooper would totally have done that when he was making Chainsaw. You know, <laughs> back in back in the day when they were doing guerrilla filmmaking uh, for for horror movies. These days, big studio franchise type stuff. Of course, you can't do that. But a hundred thousand dollars, you can't just get a stuffed deer. For, I, I'm going to do a, uh, a can't you find a special effects workshop? They've Easy. probably got one lying around that was used several times. Dollars? Where'd you get? Where'd you pull that estimate out of? Anyway, that's an unhelpful uh, um, 
producer. So that, that was a budget of $19 million and the uh, box office was $91 million. I'm not sure that deer carcass would actually have bumped the box office up that much, but it would have been a nice little bit of flavour. Anyway, um, so Freddy versus Jason troddles on. Um, there's like there's a bit where um, the main girl who believes his her father has killed her mother because a friend of hers says he saw it happen, says... You know, show me a birth, a death certificate. Show me an autopsy report. And her father literally checks his pockets. It's only a brief little bit, but it's like, do I, did I put it in here? It's, it's. I don't have it on me. I don't have it with me. Uh, so yeah, shit parents again, murdering dad. Psychotic. No, that's really evil because he's the guy that's basically. We talked about this in the last episode. How they made people forget Freddy was if you dream of him, they have you committed. Yeah, they do a lot of that in this. Oh, just thinking about it, I'm overwhelmed with boredom. It's, uh, Beware the micronaps. Yeah, the there's oh yeah, good point. Micronaps. There's uh, they also do the old mirror me doing this. You'll know this. You remember this one, Neil, from when we did the movie cliches podcast. Oh yes. Somebody in the bathroom in a horror film looks in the bathroom cabinet, oh. lowers their face to the water, washes it, comes back, either comes back up to look at the cabinet or opens it and then closes it, and then it goes boom as something is directly behind him in the mirror. That shit literally happened in this. To its credit, in the remake of Nightmare, they do the whole bathroom mirror thing and everyone's leading into it and going, oh, God, and then nothing happens. <sighs> anyway, then, like, a, a, a Freddy pretends to be this girl's father who starts licking her face in a really rapey way. And I thought, oh, this is worse and worse. Um, and then this the stoner starts blazing with a caterpillar who is Freddy. Which is Alice the one Wonderland creative bit. bit in this. It's the one creative bit is the whole Freddy, Alice Wonderland caterpillar thing. Yeah. And that's it. And then the caterpillar like jumps into his mouth and possesses him and then he yeah, like, that, that sedates Jason. Yeah, that's an entire film to do in two. He does in yeah. about five minutes in this. Good point. Good point. He just makes the guy high and then he's susceptible enough to accept him in his mouth. See, demons and ghosts from like Insidious and everything, you're doing it wrong. Dude, get them stoned. This is why Jason had the... <laughs> this is why Jason had weed in the remake. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, so basically after this, when Jason is made unconscious, he is asleep and thus Freddy can get at him. Jason has the real world, Freddy has the dream world and then Freddy fucks him up, flings him all over the boiler room and then gets into his mind uh, using his, just literally shoving his claw into the, the old guy's head and then goes back to Jason's childhood and torments him with visions of his death and his mother and it's you start to sort of feel for Jason a little bit but I was really already creeped out by the, the rest of the tone of the movie then they drive to crystal lake from Springwood. Uh, springwood which i did the math because i checked that wonderful map you sent out on twitter neil um they drive all the way across the state of pennsylvania which is 283 miles in a van yeah that apparently they're right like... next door to each other in this film oh okay right because that would take about six hours in uh, in real time and that means six hours with jason unconscious in the back of your van I mean, it's feasible, but I would have liked to see more of that, more tension, more talking, uh, and, you know, more getting to know these kids. The reason why in this they establish Jason is such a, a force is basically he has Wolverine's regeneration factor. He does. Apparently. Yeah. Which is weird. Also, Freddy keeps calling everyone bitch yes. over and over again. You're in my world now, bitch. God, die, bitch, 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 bitch. 
Please tell me you're cutting Cartman in for that bit. <laughs> and, oh god, it's not that's not even the worst bit though. The bit where the black best friend turns up and Freddy goes, Ugh, dark meat. No, he goes, How sweet. Dark How sweet, meat. dark meat. Ew. And then she responds by calling him faggot. Yep. I think my flesh just crawled off my body at that stage. And basically he's like bearing down upon her, like snicking his fingers and she's sort of insulting him and saying, you know, do you have a compensation problem? And then she gets horribly killed. And then there's a sort of a heavy metal war where Freddy and Jason totally go at it. They hack each other to pieces. And then there's a big explosion. They both go in the water and they both come back out again. There's a lot of stabbing and the, uh, like Freddy gets killed being stabbed by his own, like lopped off arm by Jason. Yes, who then dies of his wounds, apparently. Who then dies of his wounds, and then uh, like basically they both die, and at the end they both live because Jason comes sloping out of the uh, river holding Freddy's head, which wakes up and goes, ah! Well, no, it basically winks at the screen. Yeah, breaking the fourth wall, fine, whatever. And then the, uh, the other kids, who I don't even care about at this stage, get away. And it's horrible shitty fanfic written by nasty little creeps was the last thing i wrote about uh, this film. actually i think the fanfic would be better because at least it yeah. get the law right because they flip in screw the law up in this film you know how we were just talking about six and when what happened yeah. when freddie was in the real world he was normal and human totally mortal yeah what happens in this film when he's in the real world he's apparently still a freaking demon <laughs> which is inconsistent <sighs> with everything that's gone before the it is basically a modern it's two classic characters done in a modern horror movie which does not work because you don't like them yeah you don't like them you don't I, like the characters you don't like the character you don't like the teenagers and uh like i said there are a few bits that made me chuckle mostly at the beginning before it started to, to work its way in and really get grim and horrible um but i think if i saw it again i'd just be like stony watching the thing um waiting for it to end uh, a truly horrible way to close out the series that is until at least 2010 Sharon anything on Freddy vs Jason you've been very quiet this whole time just the fact that as you said there's so rapey it's so rapey and it's so inappropriate it just 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 I get that you're a horror movie and and you're you're conforming to what you think horror movies are must you with the lines that just make it all so much worse and like you said it doesn't help that you you can't stand anybody there is nobody that it's particularly possible to get behind in this i mean mm. the main girl whose name completely escapes me Laurie. Is, Laurie. thank you she's Road. she's vaguely Campbell. all right but she's very boring you know yes. nothing really happens to her or because of her yeah. um and um the the boyfriend likewise it was just it was very dull except when it was creeping me out (laughs) that's a fair that is a good way of something it's dull and it's misses the mark and goes way too dark for a film that's trying that's at war with itself you know it's trying to be comedic in one aspect with like the caterpillar stuff and the 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 longest burn stump burn and stuff like that but then like you said you've got the opening which is really dark and lots of stuff in it just doesn't mesh mm. and this is by a good director this is ronnie you yeah 
And basically, it would have been almost impossible to do this one right. You'd have to, you can't really do the kids that you like and have them slaughtered by Jason. That's because true, that doesn't actually. Work. Yeah, yeah. I think it it is the presence of the the Jason themes as well, because the point of those films is that the teenagers are all supposed to be horrendously horrible and nobody actually likes them. Yeah, which is a real bad trope of modern horror films. Yeah, it's one I hit. This is pretty much why I don't watch horror films anymore. I don't yeah. like them. Oh yeah, yeah. So uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Nine, the remake. Uh got 15% uh, critical acclaim, uh, which means nobody liked it. 15? Um, 15. That's more than I would have given it. Yeah. Um, more than I give it. Came out in 2010, cost 35 million, made 115 million. So Platinum Dunes behind it. They make glossy new versions of old horror films. Bad. These were what uh, uh, they're being ranted about in Scream 4. Um, uh, Michael Bay in charge. Uh, he tends to get his lackeys to do the direction and um, this was Samuel Bayer. Uh, it's, it stars Fred Krueger. And we didn't mention this before, but he's only ever billed as Fred Krueger in the first one. He's Fred Krueger for most of the second one, but then he's credited as Freddy Krueger. The more quippy he is, the more Freddy he is. So technically, for most of this film, for most of this film, he's Fred Krueger. And he's now played by Jackie Earl Haley, Rorschach. <sighs> Yeah. Um, I, I was a good actor. Watching the credits, we kept looking at each other and going, seriously? Clancy Brown's in this? Yep. Seriously? What's his name? Thomas Decker is in this? Mm-hmm. Rooney Mara is in this? The music's by Steve Jablonski of Transformers? Robert Shea still producing this? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just thought, well, you, know, you watch it at the beginning, and it's, it's Kellen Lutz, the uh, guy from Twilight, and uh, I thought, well, I just like, I wrote this down establish some dream physics and stick with them. You know, what can Freddy do and what can he not do? Now, if you're rebooting, now is when you lay it down. You go, what is possible, what is not possible? Um, and what are the weaknesses and what are the restrictions? Because that way you can start playing with them. You can start, um, you know, laying down some new law. And the, one of the biggest failings of this film, biggest, is that they assume you've never seen any Nightmare on Elm Street before. You're, you're one of these new kids, a millennial or something, who for some reason's never seen Nightmare on Elm Street. And um, the, it's all explained over and over again, and, and over. then shown and, and explained again. And they have shot after shot of like really good shots from the original that they didn't get why they were good, and they just sort of replicate them. So, like, the bit where the, uh, the body goes but with sideways. with CG, because that's better. Uh, th- yeah, the bit where uh, she get, floats on the ceiling and gets traumatized and torn open. The bit where um, the, the, hand, the hand in the bath, the face coming out of the, uh, the wall, uh, the, what's another one? The, the snatching away of the mum at the end. Um, there's, I think, the, the, the extent, the, the long arms bit, is that in there? Things, you know, I don't remember. There is a little lamb in one of the uh, 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 the, the opening credits thing, so that's a reference to the fact that the sheep is in there in the in the beginning one. And it's, I was thinking like when we start first started watching, it, is this going to be literally just the first one, or have they taken elements from loads of different ones? And it's 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 the latter, but it mostly follows the tropes of the the, the first one of these kids finding out about it. Now what? made us sit up and take notice was that they started going, look, these kids have met Freddy before when they were very, very young. And uh, in fact, it appears that um, they have, they were kidnapped by him. And this is sort of the, the mystery is slowly unfolding. Uh, and it's like, well, what happened? You know, and, and one of the uh, kids, Jesse says, we 
we told our parents about this and they killed him. We framed an innocent man. And that's why he's angry and he hates us. And that was an interesting thought. Was that the thing that you were saying would be interesting? Uh, or, or was it the going to sleep forever? Uh, no, it's... Uh, I'll come to, if you talk about the kills, I'll get to it there. It's not that. Okay, cool. Uh, that is the bit that no one wanted was Freddy to be innocent. Most yeah. people didn't want that. It's like... Ugh. Yeah. I mean, basically, if he Freddy was innocent, he'd totally go after the parents and not the kids. Yes. It wouldn't make any sense for him to be butchering the kids. Mm. Um, and uh, but so, this yeah. Is the, the whole idea that they are... Um, that they were previously victims of the live Fred Krueger. That's the first mm. time that's been done, isn't it? There's never any yeah. hint that the uh, the previous kids were in any way related to Freddy's victims. Yeah. And uh, the, the, the like, there's weird stuff with the parents covering up. That whole parents being unreliable thing is, is totally still here. That, like... Tina or Christina goes to her family photo album and looks through and loads of photos have been taken out and yet the pages are there with these photos missing. It's like, take the pages out too. Mm. You know I mean? Like if you have no intention of putting any other photos there in their place, don't leave that gaping hole as a giant clue that says you should probably go looking or, or I don't know, just either take them out or, or just, you know, put something else there instead or something to make her not think there's something not here when it should be here. And they kept her dress, the dress of like, like Christina keeps seeing Why herself as a you? child slashed, you know, with her dress, front of her dress slashed. And then they keep it. That's the thing you burn. Why would you keep the clothes your child was attacked in? Why? Yeah. Unless that was a dream, because it sort of implied that she's snooping around in the loft and it's in there and it's a dream. And that Freddie's basically point, trying yeah. to remind her yeah. that they could just about get away that way. But again, this dream is kind of nonsensical. But then again, dreams are nonsensical. It's, there's, there's quite a bit of Freddie trying to remind these kids what went on. Uh, to the point where it actually becomes expositional. In fact, there's a point where Jesse uh, is in the swimming pool and he has a full-on flashback to the actual murder of oh, Fred Krueger at the hands of the... Oh, that's Quentin, not Jesse. Jesse is sorry. Thomas Decker, who is yep. utterly wasted in this film. Totally wasted. Uh, Thomas Decker being the jo- young John Connor from Sarah Connor Chronicles. Excellent actor. Completely ch- just shit-wasted in this film. Um, it, so, yeah, Quentin comes out of the, uh, the sort of the pool beside the tool shed where freddie was murdered and he watches these parents set the building on fire and then freddie comes running out on fire deeply traumatized but at that stage like that's just telling the audience what happened that's freddie becoming basil exposition so i mean this sort of it didn't have us hooked but it had us intrigued for a lot of it because we were thinking well they've taken they've taken a somber tone with this one it's much more glossy the uh the kills are supposed to chill you rather than uh, uh jump scare you mm. at least it felt like it that there was a bit more jump scaring around christina's death and then they found you the performances are a lot more refined than the earlier films albeit that they are a bit lackluster in terms of enthusiasm yeah they're modern mopey teenagers rather than early 80s overacting everybody talks like they've got a mouthful of marbles i couldn't understand what anyone was saying (laughs) here's here's a big deal Fred Krueger's face is now looks like somebody who has been horribly burned. And so Jackie Earl Haley is behind this like great big fat face mask and he looks angry, sad. Whereas England's Freddie was always grinning from fucking ear to ear. 
for some reason, the angry, sad Freddy going, and they, they, they've got his voice. Who has, he has a great voice, by the way. A great kind of commanding, chilling, rasping voice. Um, you know, booming like Candyman, loud, while he's stalking them in the dreams. But it never really looks like he's actually talking, and it certainly doesn't look like you're supposed to be enjoying it at all. It's just horrible and fearful, which I suppose was a good way of doing it. Had they managed to maintain that... I suppose it would have been sticking to their guns had they managed to maintain that. Um, One thing that threw me about this, actually, was that about, what was it? It must have been about a third of the way through, maybe half. <laughs> it suddenly occurred to me, this actually isn't all that bad. It's it's pretty well directed. It started off maybe a little bit on the weak side, but it's progressed and, you know, the performances are pretty good and... The scenes that they're obviously uh, replicating from the earlier films, they're actually not doing a bad job. The scene where um, Chris is killed that's replicating when Tina gets killed and um, Thomas Decker is in the corner of the room terrified and they Mm -hmm. do the whole spinning room thing. I actually thought that was pretty well done. Um, And I thought... pretty well replicated. Yeah, indeed. And And I thought, it's not really doing a bad job what's wrong with it? Because something's really off. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't quite put my finger on it at that point. Did you get get to it in the end? Yes. Yes, I did. Uh, Is it to concern the tone of the ending? Yes, it does. Shall we thus save it? Okay, right. Mm. Um, Yeah, Christina gets flung around as Tina did in the original movie, flung onto the ceiling and then slashed and then slams back down the bed. Thomas Decker is covered in blood and then runs off, then promptly gets arrested and is in his cell. Freddy stalks him through the mental boiler room again and then sneaks there's a bit of hide and seek he sneaks up and then he rams his hand through decker's chest from behind exploding his heart in the real world and then there's a bit of did you know it takes six uh, six minutes for your brain to die we got six minutes of playtime and thankfully they cut away but that was an astonishing amount of sadism considering basically they're saying he's going to torture him for six minutes in his dreams before he finally expires yeah that's fucking terrifying was that it uh-huh. yeah that's yeah. the bit it's, it's the bit was like you know what? On paper, that reads as a great concept. Yeah. In context, oh, that's just fucking nasty. Yeah. The thing is, though, what hit me at that point was not, wow, that's a really horrible um, <laughs> concept to explore. It's, right, you're saying, because his actual words are, the brain still functions for six minutes after the heart stops beating. There's electrical activity in it. I don't think you can really call that functioning. We have no idea what the brain is actually doing in those six minutes. Yeah. Fortunately, though, they could have gone all out super torture sore at this stage and they cut away. And I thought, well done them for at least being a bit restrained on that scenario. Just giving us the horrible nightmare thought and then stepping away. Mm. That's that's admirable filmmaking. So well done there. Um, Nobody ever says, well, okay, the dreams are real to you, and that's what matters. Everyone always says, it's just a dream. It's just a dream. It's not real. It's just a dream. Blah, 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 blah. To the point where when you're watching the ninth film, it's fucking boring to watch people saying that again. Mm-hmm. No one ever goes, look, it actually doesn't matter whether these are real or not. Because they're so real to you, we need to look at this. You know, No one even just goes, let's just hypothetically believe you. It would be so refreshing if... The kids basically, uh, you know, were able to take this to some kind of professional. 
and get this, you know, done. Like there needs to be kind of like a like the the idea of Nancy being a, a specialist in three is a, is something that could be explored. Anyway, um, you Sharon, you mentioned that it doesn't work outside the eighties because in the eighties was this sort of Reaganomics kind of era when every, every, every there was this still veneer over everything, but nowadays we know everything's fucked up. Yeah, the the whole um, what's worked the best about these films and what I really enjoyed about the earlier ones is that it's it's the theme of. Um, you know, you live in this environment where we tell you everything is fantastic and marvellous and lovely, uh, mm-hmm. but it's actually not. There's this deep, dark secret that's running through it, and it's that that's going to mess everything up. Yeah. But in to a modern audience, that doesn't wash, and you can't... I suppose you might just be able to sell it if you put um, a, a kind of... It looks like everything's polished and perfect, but you, the audience knows it's not really there, but the the characters buy into it. And that would be, I suppose, something like the remake of Night of the Living Dead or um, something like that, where they have this suburbia. Uh, hang on, do I mean Night of the Living Dead or do I mean Dawn of the Dead? Night was the one in the farmhouse, Dawn is the one in the mall. Uh, what's the one with Sarah Polly in it? Dawn of the Dead remake. Dawn of the Dead, re- yeah, that's the one I'm talking about. Um, where you you have this environment where it's it's like this slightly plasticky fake smile suburbia, and the audience knows that, but it's it's real to the people in it, and and therefore it works. But in this, as you say, they're all mopey teenagers that all of them clearly know the world is going to hell in a handcart. Adding Freddy to this equation Adds doesn't nothing. really change things very much. No, that's nothing. So also, there's a search engine in this called Gigablast, and I thought well, you couldn't get Google. Google didn't want to be in the Nightmare on Elm Street. You'd be surprised <laughs> how many things don't want to be in horror movies. To be fair, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I probably wouldn't be surprised after I hear a few. But uh, yeah, the it just it seems odd that these kids are sort of looking this up on this like what seems like a late '90s search engine that we've never heard of. Uh, they yeah they do the tub claw sequence as I mentioned they do the flashbacks Freddy does Basil exposition oh the magic kid who dies but manages to upload his video Sharon noticed that she said okay who uploaded that then and when he fell forwards and it was just like did his parents come into his bedroom and go it's what he would have wanted <laughs> <laughs> and don't give me no crap about he was live streaming it it's clearly a YouTube video absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Nancy had to have someone tell her some of this stuff, but this is all sort of tied in with the idea of them going to back and like this. Ki- this kid says, "I th- Freddie was trying to get me to go back to the school and look, but I'm not the main character, so I didn't. I die." And that's uh, and so does my dog. Apparently, seriously, yeah, one of them is a dog that bites the dust somewhere in there. Yeah, so they go back to the school. And uh, look for this classroom where apparently when they were very young kids and like, you know, she's looking at this yearbook photo of like all the kids standing together and they've all been killed in their sleep except for her and Quentin because uh, everyone else has been killed. And like to the point where these kids didn't know that they knew each other back in those days, mm-hmm. like back when they were five, their parents had brainwashed them, which is again, a really interesting exploration. And they go back to, um, uh, the the school and they find their way into like it's abandoned now and they find their way into Freddy's secret cave it's like a grotto and this is where we find out whether Fred Krueger is innocent or not and uh, Quentin finds some uh, um, Polaroid pictures that we never get to see and uh, Nancy uh, played by Rooney Mara who is the Americanized version of uh, Numi Rapace in uh, <laughs> 
uh, in their the version of yeah, in Fincher's version of Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, uh, sees the pictures and breaks down because clearly uh, something absolutely genuinely terrible that we don't hear, but it's pretty bloody obvious what happened occurred between her and this Fred Krueger. And I thought, right, okay, they didn't even say it out loud that it's terrible, and they're attaching a lot of genuine fear and 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 uh, re- you know revulsion and shame and lots of negative things to that. Uh, and then they've just kind of left it. That's good. We're okay at the moment. I mean, it's not good. It's it's horrible and it's grimy, but they're treating it as something that is suitably upsetting, and that she would also want to get have a very natural revenge and or resolution or moving on, at least understanding and confronting that, rather than go, sticking her fingers in her ears and running away, going la 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 la. And she and Quentin at this point have been trying to stay awake. They've been like you know drinking energy drinks and trying to get. Um, uh, prescription meds to to stay awake. The parents are fucking useless as usual. Um, and then they fucking fumble at the last second, and it really feels like the studio got edgy because they were like, "Hang on a second, fans don't like Dark Freddy. They like Quipping Freddy. So let's have our cake and eat it." So Dark Freddy turns up and starts quipping. So he basically starts trying to be funny and make the audience laugh by making really black off-color jokes while stalking Nancy in her dreams. They do the thing where she's going to try and pull him back out into the real world again. And so she goes to sleep, and then Quentin goes to sleep, even though he shouldn't. He shouldn't. And um, she is basically chased by him. They do the... Uh, like she hides in a cupboard then she runs up the stairs the stairs turn to glue and then they turn to blood and she falls directly to this blood puddle in her um, uh, upper hallway which actually reminded me of, if nothing else of Troll 2 and <laughs> then she gets to the bedroom and he basically she gets rigidly thrust onto the bed and this is following a point where uh, she screamed at him fuck you and, it, and he goes ooh sounds kinky and it's like oh god and basically she is held down and put in a rape position. There's no other way of saying it. And Fred says, ah, this is this is my entire plan. I wanted you to come here and be so tired you would fall asleep forever so that I can basically rape you forever. And then he starts making jokes and torturing her and, and saying, like, it's, it's just, I can't even remember what he said exactly during it, but it's just really horribly uncomfortable rape type stuff but like your your mouth says no but your body says yes and that type of stuff you're supposed to be repulsed by it but the edge to it is salacious Mm, and she's all dressed up in this sort of little girl outfit and he he starts going about oh yeah yeah. this was always my favorite dress and he's got the fingernail claws going all over and they're so close to basically making this absolutely horrific and this is so so very wrong but they take the edge off it by trying to make him funny for the audience and the tone goes down the toilet they could have had a dark horrible somewhat boring tedious perfunctory remake instead it ends up as a total pig fuck i'll be honest they lost me a long time before that oh yeah because um i i understand what you're getting at with the whole you know they actually seem to be being quite subtle with the finding of the the um polaroids and Mm -hmm. and all that kind of thing I think personally they went into far too much detail about all of this implied child abuse. You've got um, little flashes of scenes where the kids come home and they find that they've got 
um, scratch marks on their back. Cause yeah, some no, you're absolutely right. They, like they outline themselves was, as entirely un, unqualified exactly. to talk about this kind of subject matter. Basically the it still way, wasn't absolutely terrible, but it was, yeah. Yeah, basically there's a way that the, the earlier films dealt with the fact that Freddy was a child murderer, which was that they said it, you saw a couple of newspaper articles about it, yeah. and then they kind of focused on who Freddy is now. Bob Shea, very specifically back in those days, didn't want to make him a paedophile and specifically, like, say, he raped children. Because no kid, especially with Freddy becoming more and more popular, you can't really get with a paedophile. So they... The attempt to get it done here was the clumsiest fucking thing I've ever seen. You can't... You can't enjoy what a paedophile says. Here's, here's the thing, though, and it's it's obviously not meant to be enjoyable. It's not as if they wanted to go down that route. But they are not equipped to handle what they have appointed themselves to tackle. And, and making it very clear, without ever actually saying it out loud, they make it very clear what all of this, this implied... Um, stuff that was happening was all about um they have the uh the flashbacks that some of the kids see where you never really see anything particularly graphic but you know what's going on mm. you have the uh the parents having this whole thing about we just thought it was better if you all forget about it and we wanted to you know sweep it all under the rug which to start with no and then Although they kind of seem to be saying, well, yeah, that was a really, really bad idea because look what's happened. The final frame where she's talking to her mother, she actually says to her, I know you were only trying to protect me. Thank you. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> no, that's bad. But the the fact that they have gone, right, this is the theme. This is the content. This is the material that we want to address. There are films that can have child abuse in them and there are films that can't have child abuse in them and films with a disfigured monster with claws for hands that everybody ultimately is supposed to be uncomfortably laughing at those are not films with child abuse in them no <laughs> it's like robots there's yes. only a certain type of movie that should have robots in it Indeed. rocky 4 was not one of those films Indeed. and i actually that, the, that. the bit <laughs> the bit where they found right i, I will contact rocky using my modem <laughs> Once again, all power to We Hate Movies for that exact line and check out their Rocky Four review. <laughs> I actually thought they completely fumbled that scene in the in the cave and I was really uncomfortable with the way it had started to go by this point anyway. Mm-hmm. But when they when they got into the cave and they started they're looking around and they find this box, Quentin, as a character, mm-hmm. is by and large, pretty dull. He doesn't do much. He's basically there just to be the nice guy that um, that Nancy gets to bounce off. He's, I suppose, uh, the equivalent of Glenn in the first one. Yeah, basically. Mm. Um, but they they get into. The, but he specifically never remembers anything about what happened. We know he mm. was there. He's in the photograph. Mm-hmm. But he never remembers what happened. And his mm-hmm. dad actually seemed to have been the most active in terms of because he's Clancy Brown, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, he seems to have been the kind of the ringleader in terms of going after Fred Krueger. And, and he's the one who ends up throwing the gas canister through the window and setting it on fire. Mm-hmm. Quentin never remembers anything about what happened right to the end. He never remembers. They get into that cave. He finds the box of, with the photographs in, he sits down and he just, there's this moment where he just sinks down on the, on the little cot bed and he's looking at these photographs and he can't speak and his face looks utterly, utterly horrified. And I actually thought for a moment, do you know where they're going with this? That's him. 
That's him in those pictures. He doesn't remember any of this mm. because he's the one who was worst affected. And so he has completely covered up all of it. And this is his moment of, of realisation. And then but he no, turned to Nancy she's the and went, girl. they're all of you. And I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> really? Really? You're going to completely dispose, you know, his, his backstory is basically going to be non-existent so that you can focus on Nancy was the favourite. Nancy was the special girl. Nancy was the one who basically is going to be the, the pursued to the end. And this was the point where I actually thought they had an opportunity to turn it around and make Quentin the one who went, no, I'm going in there. I'm going to get him. He kind of half-heartedly tries to volunteer. But then Nancy says, no, it's got to be me. What if I'm the only one who can bring him back? What, because you have special blood? I, I did just, say that exactly at did, that point. I, special but, blood! But really, you know, you're still doing this. You, you really went out of your way to explore this avenue, which I'm massively uncomfortable with and don't think you were capable of doing. And you're about to really prove that you weren't capable of doing it. And you can't even come up with an inventive way to twist the end. I think I was just surprised and a bit relieved it wasn't worse but then it just it got so bad that the the contrast of of like it just went down and down and downhill yeah. that I almost look back on that and go that's when they weren't quite that's completely when they weren't fucking quite so horrible terrible yeah. and destroyed but the, the hence whole, my earlier saying that they didn't absolutely bungle that indeed but the the whole of the final act once they they get down to right Nancy go to sleep and Quentin's going to stay here and, and wake you up if anything bad happens yeah. um, that was the point I basically just got this look of complete and utter disgust on my face and it stayed there to the end yeah uh, so anyway she drags Freddy out into the uh, the the real world again then they chop his hand off again then they chop his head off and his neck yawns back like a Muppet's mouth and he dies and he dies and he's supposed to be dead at this point but of course he's not dead so uh, when she goes back to the house and she says you were just trying to protect me mother and then it cuts to the mirror rather than the door and uh, Freddy yanks her mother back through the mirror and smashing and screaming and ah because you can't kill Freddy ever even if you actually do kill Freddy mm. and dissatisfying shitty fucking ending and oh, reboot folks reboot again part, his, when he grabs her mother his hand punches out through the mirror two of his claws go through the back of her head and come out and through, through her, her eyes, eyes. isn't that nice did that make you Ugh. jump folks did that satisfy you yeah. okay. so yeah that that's the end of the nightmare on elm street series fucking not depressing. with a bang but with an ugh. ugh i described it best as it was like being a bit sick in your mouth and then having to swallow it back down it's like being a lot sick in your mouth and to swallow it back down it was yeah, really, it just, really, it, it was deeply like unpleasant. Stomach acid. Yes, it was deeply unpleasant. Yeah. So, Neil, what did you think of it? <laughs> I gave up on this film ten minutes in when I realised there was absolutely no original ideas in it and it wasn't going to be creative in any way, shape or form. And it yeah. turned out a lot of the actors had turned up for a paycheck more than yeah. anything. And to watch some really damn good actors in this film be mm. really, really bland. And this is yeah. what I was saying to you all the way through. It's bland, bland. Bland and bland. It's beige. It's not actually. It's grime. But it's it's, it's 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 a modern horror film. There's no creativity. There's no effort anywhere in this film. Possibly, maybe Jackie Earl Haley, but it's hard to say because he's lost in that makeup. It doesn't work. Mm. And yeah. the voice is just Rorschach. He is lost yeah. in the makeup. You're absolutely right. It's it doesn't really feel like. Um, 
uh, either a new take or a, an old take or a fresh take yeah. on, on Kruger. He's uh, given nothing to really do or say. No, I think the only thing he really character. adds to it is going with his claws, fiddling with them. That's about it. Has he done much stuff in makeup before? I know he's so the Rorschach mask doesn't count, but mm. there's certain people who excel when they're put on the makeup. Ron Perlman, Ron Perlman, Robert Engel are, are two people to look at. That they, they just seem to know how to to work their face muscles in a way that really accentuates everything. Yeah, if Freddie's face barely moves, it. I, I like the again. It's one of the few things. The idea was good, making mm. him look like a real burn victim, but it doesn't work in this fantastical setting that you've set mm. up. That it just Freddy for essence is the bogeyman. You know how you're talking about special blood. Special blood. <laughs> the reason Nancy is special and can only do these things is because the original Nancy was special and worked out how to do these. They've just looked at it and took sort of like the Cliff Notes version of the original film and just sort of pasted them into their film mm. and then just sort of wrote some bits of filler and stuff. And it's boring and nasty yeah. and everyone's on autopilot and there's some good bloody actors in it and that's really really annoying i hate it <laughs> i genuinely i can hate understand why you hate this one i hate it from the fact that it's part of the series I, I always give the reboots a chance i will watch them i watched it i did not like it i thought you know what with the modern special effects that we have now you could do something truly outstanding and fantastic it's dreams it's exactly not just gore, but dreams it's, you could do anything with it that's it it's this it's could dreams. be the evil version of what dreams may come it's dreams you can do anything you want and then just to see copy paste boiler room classroom it's like it, boiler plate it it, it, it this is what you look when i point to remakes are bad this is what i mean where they don't put any effort in the bit with the tub was notably like you could put those two scenes side by side and like the, Nancy clearly in the first one she's very vulnerable she's very stressed Nancy in the second one also stressed but she's got this look on her face of like god damn it mom so like when her mother knocks on the door she's like I'm having a bath but she doesn't seem at all apprehensive so you don't get that when the glove comes up you're like oh I, that's somehow less terrifying and then they don't cut immediately to the um, like that doesn't follow into something more that the, the bottom doesn't drop out of the bath. Mm. So it's just that bit. And it's like, remember that bit? Okay, we'll move on because like, we're not actually going to do anything different with that. I think she goes into a room and it's snowing mm. and that's not, I, it's, I'm not suggesting that they should have done the bottom drops out of the bath, but for God's sake, if you're going to reference things, it's actually better to just go like, remember that bit? It's a little like this bit or like little winks and nods. Or uh, look what we can do with our special effects now with the whole wall scene, you know, where it presses through the wall that was done yeah. later. It looked like the Frighteners. Yes. God, I would have rather been watching the Frighteners. Oh, Either God, cut. So... Yeah, it's a just complete missed opportunity, and I can guarantee you when they do the reboot again, it'll it'll they'll do like with Alien vs. Predator. They'll go, "You didn't like that? Okay, we'll go back to what we think you like about it. Then we'll make it really like darkly funny, and so they're going to bring back quipping Freddy in style, and so the, this next version of Freddy is going to be either quipping Freddy or like PG thirteen rated Beetlejuice Freddy. I'll tell you what now. I'm putting either, either way, it'll be funny. I'll put money on the fact if this reboot goes ahead properly, they will, will get Robert Engel back. You think? I think they will. I wonder, actually. That might be an idea. 
<sighs> he's probably doesn't have that many Freddy performances left in him, but uh, well, I'd he's fucking played. rather see him, even if he was in Freddy vs. Jason, I most hated, I'd rather see him have another crack at it than um, Jackie Earl Haley tries that. He has worn the makeup for the last time. But if they offer him a chance to play it in a film again, I think he'd put mm. it back on. Okay. Uh, how would you rank these films, by the way? I asked you guys to both do that. Because uh, this one could take a while. I'll tell you mine, and you tell me where yours differ. Okay. Um, at the absolute bottom, Freddy vs. Jason. Different. A hair's breadth from it, the remake. Different, yeah, different. <laughs> was, was, is your worst one the remake? The worst one's the remake, then it's Freddy Jason. Okay, so I would Sharon? say the same as Neil. The, the w- remake is worse for me. Worse than Freddy vs. Jason? Yeah, because I didn't expect anything else from Freddy vs. Jason. I mean, oh, it was, it was did, probably... Did it, yeah. Well, I didn't expect anything from the remake. No. And actually, I got more than I thought I would, but then it just... It then again, with what, what expectations you go with, you went in with low expectations, I went in with higher, and... I went in with higher expectations for Freddy vs. Jason, having remembered quite liking it, and now, like I say, slap myself. Mm. Um, next one up from there... The Dream Child. Uh, yes. The one that's Matt. barely there. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Okay. The next one after that. The Dream Master, the action movie one. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and this one after that. Now, this will differ for between me and Neil, definitely. New Nightmare. Yeah, mine's different. Okay. Uh, Sharon? Yeah, I think it's going to have to be the same then. Okay. New. Uh, and Neil, what's yours? Two. Two. Okay, well, ours next one, or mine next one, is Freddy's Revenge, number two. Sharon? Uh, three. Three. Dream yeah. Warriors. Yeah. Okay, so you prefer two to three. I, I prefer two to three slightly. I found two a little bit more uh, interesting and engaging. I think I probably prefer the premise of Warriors rather than the execution, uh, the, rather than the, the rather too melodramatic two. But it's only just, I mean, they're, they're pretty much neck and neck, kind of like the last ones. Yeah. Neil? Mine's three. It's Dream Warriors. Three. So uh, you go three, then two, or yeah. two, then? Yeah, three, two, four, five, Freddy versus okay. remake. Gotcha. Uh, so after that, Final Nightmare, number six, is my second favourite. Yep, same here. Uh, I'm technically a my third, apparently, because I might have one more than you. Uh, Sorry, yeah. I'm confused here, but yeah, it's it's final nightmare. It's final, yeah. And no, I think we um, we slightly reshuffled them, uh, and uh, so that means your second favourite's new nightmare. No. Oh, right. Oh, right. Your second favourite's the original. Is the original. Wow. So your first favourite's new nightmare. Yes. Do you want to talk a bit more about that? Like, is I guess, there anything we missed out? For me, it's the concept and the idea behind it. The, mm-hmm. the, the theme of stories playing an important role, the the, the 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 effects of horror film and the culture that it it sort of spawns and people's reactions to it, I find it fascinating. You had like the positive one of the talk show where you know you've got Freddie high, the comical Freddie high fiving the fans. Then you've yeah. got the nurses' reactions. You're, you're not letting your child watch those horror films, are you? Yeah, it shows you that. Like, it's the concept that I really enjoy in that. And again, the overall arc of sort of almost this Lovecraftian monster waiting yeah. just outside the realms of our world, desperately trying to break in, but getting trapped in stories like Hansel and Gretel. Yeah. So, I, in that sort of weird, dark fairy tale esque element of it, it's like again, it's concepts. I, I, sometimes I just really fall for a concept, and New Nightmare has just concepts that I really love. So, so for uh, Sharon and I, it's uh, the second fe- best for us is the funniest one, the most madcap screwball, like Freddy at his uh, most anarchic. And our uh, number one is, for me, it's it's the original because it's the scariest, it's the most thought-provoking, 
Um, it's the one that stretches the concept the least because obviously since it starts fresh, you don't have to then have the parents still don't believe the kids. It's just, it's all self-contained. It's, it works very well as its own story. Uh, all of this, every single one after this has to acknowledge the original in some capacity, but this at least they, they're just, it starts, it gives you the story. He stays in the shadows. Uh, it, it, it's the most interesting to me. I know that I hate that word normally, but it's, it is of most interest to me the whole way through. I care about the characters more than this one than any other, uh, except possibly six because I liked them a lot. There's really a lot to be said about a film that you know cost nothing to make and had such a profound influence. I think for me, it's all those things, plus the fact I was so surprised by it. Mm. I, I had never expected to like it. My attitude of late, although I do remember really being into incredibly corny, crappy horror when I was a lot younger, it was mainly, mm. I think I was probably more into horror books and the films were just kind of a side project. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Um, the the really good horrors that I've seen are kind of much more standout for me now, and I never expected to go back to something that was so old and be so impressed by it. You see, I think what happens is the older we get, it becomes the quality over the quantity. When you're younger and a teen, you sort of go for the quantity. You see as much as you can because mm. you're not meant to watch this. But when you get older, you go. Your taste has developed, so you you go for the quality of the film more than the the quantity and by the time these sequels spin out apart from where you get to six generally surprised at how much you love that one not that i'm not saying i don't because i do (laughs) but i wasn't expecting that you know you can only recycle so many ideas yeah and again why i think nightmares my different uh, is was my favorite is because it's that damn different from everything although can i say sharon yep Mm -hmm. did you regret saying you this needs a remake now no, no, no! It it still needs a remake. It, it needs a remake that was better than that one. Yes. So the remake needs a remake. Yes. Well, no. They they need to, <laughs> they need to burn the remake and go back to the beginning. They need to apologise for that remake. They really do. They need to apologise just for the, the the great actors that are wasted. Yeah. If nothing else, for the blemish that that now leaves on Thomas Decker's career. Yes. Yeah. And I would say he's bloody awesome in. in Terminator. Yeah? Terminator the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Good grief. I needed a shorter title. Just, yes, yeah, Sarah Connor Chronicles probably would have worked, but they needed the word Terminator in there. Terminator would have worked. Or just Terminator Chronicles. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um,. Thank you, Neil, for, for taking us through these. And I think, basically, like I mentioned that we might be doing Nightmare, and you're like, oh, me, 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 me. So uh, yeah, you, we never really thought about not doing it with you. So I know, it's, thank it's you very like, much for, for helping us. No, it's, this is a, I'd like to point out, this is a smaller thank you than the Fast and Furious ones, for good reason. They, <laughs> yeah. went, they got better as they went on. It is, it is considerably smaller. We're glad we've done this. Uh, I had always been kind of fascinated with the idea of Freddy, and now that I've seen him in the light of day, I'm uh, much more... He's not so scary, is he? Yeah, well, I'm still more fascinated with the idea of Freddy than the reality of Freddy. That's it. Yeah. Somewhere in there, and I agree with Sharon, in the right hands, with the right writing team, the right director, there's a fascinating movie to be made. Mm. I think, actually, part of the essence of it was that it needs to be made 
by somebody who a understands that Freddie represents fear, not of anything specific, but the but a fear that is overwhelming and huge and external. Um, and in the first one, I think it, it largely felt like it was fear of the outside world, fear of growing up and going up against things that you are not yet qualified to handle. Mm. Uh, the more specific they get about what you're afraid of Freddie doing, the less engaging and frightening it becomes. Mm. Um, secondly, they need somebody who is afraid of those things to be exploring it. Yeah. Because one of the things that that kind of really struck me about the remake was the the elements of you, you'd be afraid of this wouldn't you and you'd be really afraid of this and this would be terrible and this would be horrible seemed to be coming from somebody who isn't afraid who of anything yeah. why those things would freak other people out but did not comprehend the horrendous nature of them themselves and that's what enabled them to do the whole really really fucking inappropriate quips at really fucking inappropriate times. That's a very fine point. The idea that the horror is bolstered by the fears of the author. Mm, yeah, because that's genuine. That's authentic. If it's coming yeah. from somebody who is scared of those things, audiences, I was about to say audiences aren't stupid. Um, <laughs> some members of audiences aren't stupid. But it's, it's, like, it's like kids. Kids can see through bullshit. Yeah. Um, and if you watch something that's being put forward as scary, but yeah. by somebody who doesn't really think it's all that scary, then it doesn't click. You know yeah. there's something off, and that's, I think, what threw me about the remake. There was something wasn't quite right, something wasn't quite sitting, and I think that's what it was. I think you nailed it. Um, okay, folks, we will be back next week to cover all four Scream films. You which like are now scary looking movies, <laughs> which are now looking pretty good <laughs> oh, compared yeah. to some of these. Was, Not all of them, but I, something like the original Scream. Fuck yeah! I was so lukewarm about these films, and now I've watched all Nightmare, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street sequels. I'm like, yeah, he got better. <laughs> <laughs> he did. Yeah. Get a chance, people on the stairs. I'd be very interested to see what you think of that one. Yeah, and remember, folks, watch Red Eye. Red, Red Eye is very good. Or yeah. if you want. If you want to see what happens when the studio mandates he creates another horror icon, shocker. Or indeed, the serpent and the rainbow. Testicle horror. Testicle horror. I said that that was Jeff Daniels. It's Bill Pullman. Either way, testicle horror. (laughs) Testicle horror is kind of like tentacle horror, but with more testes. And it's harder for them to grab hold of you. <laughs> there was this one point when Lyra was talking about octopo- oct- an octopus and she said that they had eight testicles <laughs> and she didn't understand that why we were laughing so much. And then when she found out what that meant, she tried it again. You know how kids like try to say a joke again? We said, nope, doesn't work the second time. You've got to just do it once and then let it lie. But because- it's there now. She was reading a book the other day about creatures that have their eyes on tentacles and mm-hmm. she looked me dead in the eye and then looked yeah. back at the book and went, Eyes on testicles. And I was like, no, no, no it's still not, not working. Never laugh at it again, folks. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, they'll be doing testicle jokes all day long. And then we turn into an Adam Sandler comedy, and it's just sad and pathetic. Yeah. And on that bombshell, we will uh, see you next week. And um, what's your favourite scary movie? I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And School's, School's Out. out. First Full summer. summer.
<laughs> Every time I'm on this show now, you're getting that. Okay. Okay.